Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a late post Braves NL division winner celebration after knocking out the Phillies five to three tonight. Braves four straight. Is it? I love it. Even though everyone, you seem like a kind of person that would hate on Brian Snicker. What does that mean? I feel like you're just you're a very critical fan. I don't know what that means. Okay, are you, be, are you be, a fan of Snicker or not? I'm. Uh, um, you are not a fan of Snicker. Well, here's what I'll say. I don't think he's very good, but he's like an easy guy to root for. There was a really good long form piece on him in SI a few months back, and that dude has earned like most people do not go to the levels that that man went to to earn his spot and how long he grinded in minor league ball and made like no money and raised a family and moved around and lived out of a van and brian snicker is an easy guy to root for and he's been in the braves organization for like 30 something years or something right Mm mm-hmm I'm telling you, there's a really good piece if you uh, want to check it out, folks, uh, on SI.com uh, from a few months back. I think I, it might have been Verducci who wrote it, but I'm not 100% certain of that. It's been a little bit, but um, it was really good. So do I like Snicker the person? Do I like the story? Yes. Do I think he's a great manager? No. But I also don't really love most Major League Baseball managers. I don't think most are good. And I'm not really <laughs> – like, I'm not really – I, I don't so know. I'm not really sure how much they do. Right. Like, and so I feel like people just kind of, oh, well, the reliever came in and blew the game. That's the manager's fault. And it's just like, just come on. Like, it, I just feel like Snigger gets too much hate. Like, he's like he's not, like, the best manager in baseball. But it's like he's been the – he was an interim guy that, like, essentially got the job long term. And he, he came up with all those young – our young core, too. And it's like four straight – four years he's been the manager, four straight division titles. Like – yeah, put some respect on that man's name. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and it's cool. We'll see what happens with the Brewers. Also, I should mention, I am joined, as I am, twice a week during this college football season. My good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, you heard him there, two fellow Braves fans. I was actually just driving by Truist Park today uh, and yesterday. Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. Yeah, I just had to uh, jump right in there to, with the uh, the Bravos talk. Yeah, but, absolutely. Because um, um, we can't really talk about the Falcons. It's not great, and the Hawks are the Hawks are coming soon. But yeah, I was I'm, only in, I'm, and I'm not even a Falcons fan, so yeah. yeah. Imagine ruin my weekend when they lose. I know, but can you imagine what? Like, you should have more appreciation for my plight now, Matt Green. That I spend my weekends with the Vols and the Falcons. Like, that's a. That's a tough, tough way to spend a weekend. That's tough. I feel like Tennessee Tennessee seems easier than the Falcons. I don't know. Something about college. Like, Tennessee, don't get me wrong. It's been tough for a while now. But there's something about the pageantry of college and everything. Like, pro sports is just such a bottom line business. And the Falcons, oh, man, they feel like – I mean, they did win last week. But they feel like the worst team in the league, honestly. Like, at least bottom five. They have a bottom five offense and bottom five defense, but Matt Ryan has not completed a pass past 20 yards this season. I, I don't want to talk about the Falcons right now. That's for tomorrow. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, and it's all happy times because the Braves are going to the playoffs again. That's cool. Um, the playoffs out for him too, getting the Brewers instead of uh, one of the NL West teams. Like, yeah. That could, could be solid. 
I mean, yeah, it, it, obviously if Acuna was here, I'd be a lot more optimistic. Um, that's just the thing. I mean, it's an awesome run. They bounce back. They spent the majority of the season under 500 and they still won this division. I mean, this division was just quite bad. Um, but, it was, you know, but I got to throw props to them for like not being sellers at the yes. deadline. Because I feel like I kind of gave up on the season when Acuna got mm-hmm. hurt. So the fact they bounced back, won the division, like it's big time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the yeah. Bengals just keep the uh, Jags while we're uh, all over every sport that's not college football. That's <laughs> <laughs> part of our news this uh, this week. Uh, Virginia takes care of Manny Diaz and the Hurricanes tonight. Did you see that bobbled interception that turned into a touchdown for Virginia in this game? Oh, no, I did not see that. Okay. I just it, saw here at the end the, uh, the missed kick off the upright. Okay, you have to see – I have to send this to you because it's – preposterous that the way this ball bounces and bounces up into um oh i'm looking at the field goal kick this is right down the middle right down the middle and he blows yeah. this that's terrible probably like a what like a 30 32 yard or so like but it's like right down the middle 32 yards yeah. that's some detroit lions minnesota vikings for the field goal i like, guess what they did just kind of like set it up in the middle a couple times in a row like i just hate doing that like Run up the middle, maybe you can break one. Like, I don't know. Okay, I just sent it. You have to look at this, and we'll move forward. Um, but, yeah, Virginia was up 26-14 in, uh, after this play. Do you see it, Matt Green? I can't, but I feel like we should move on. Well, it's on the <laughs> chat. It's I, I sent it on the chat. This is part of it. You have to see this. Like this is a this is a great radio. This is great podcasting because folks, if you've not already, I'll talk while you're doing this. If you've not already, go look at this clip. Just type in Miami Virginia from tonight. This is a college football podcast, and this is what we're talking about at the moment because Virginia three and two. Brennan Armstrong, lefty sensation. Shout out to my guy Brennan who's breaking Pat Mahomes records to start the year. Fantastic stuff out wow. of Virginia. I did just see it. Wow, is that, that not bonkers? Incredible. It's Miami football right now. That is Miami football right now. Who gets fired first, Manny Diaz or uh, Mike Norvell? Mm, um, just between the two of them, I would have to say Norvell. But Interesting. I, I would go the other way. Because Diaz is in what year two? They're both in year two. They were mm-hmm. way better. Like they were way better than Florida State was last year. Like they were at least you know third, fourth best team in the in the ACC. Like. Florida State is like bottom of the barrel, you know. Like, I mean, they're zero and four right now. Like, this is just embarrassing. Like, I don't know. My main idea seems to fit my, Miami too. Like, that's his dream job. Like, I I feel like I feel like they're gonna give him uh, some some more time than the Norvell. But neither neither should be fired in the next two years. Like, you gotta give someone you gotta give guys at least like four or five years or so. Not everyone feels that way. But. There is zero chance both of these head coaches both get two years. There's no way. I mean, I wouldn't rule that out. It's just you can't just There is one more guaranteed coach. win on the Florida State schedule. Miami going 5-7 and seven is on the table. Anything less than 8-4. and I mean, four. Not good, but yeah. they went 8-3 and three last year. Mm-hmm. Last year was, what, year two of maybe? So this is year three. Mm-hmm. So... 
Yeah, I mean, he. It, it all depends. It's. It, we'll see how it shakes out. I feel like, but I'm just saying, they've been significantly better than Florida State. It just speaks to how just god awful <laughs> state has been basically like miami is nothing nothing impressive but you know they did finish ranked one year when he was there like florida state has such a long way to go but i just don't think you could be firing your coach every two or three years like you can't build anything that way like especially in this era of college football with like the early signing period and everything like new coaches are just put such behind the eight ball with that with people being able to sign the early at the early signing date and a guy a new coach is like two weeks onto the job you know like i think i think you just have to give guys time to to build at least give them like one full recruiting class i think four years is like the bare minimum that every coach deserves see i don't like that because it's like a it's a whole scheme and i I just hate when the 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 speak of like we got to go to the bare bone start from the bottom up blah 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 blah. because it's just job security when you set the bar that low and you're like all this stuff i have to do to fix it sam Pittman comes in year two with kindle with not kindle price with uh chad morris players jaylon burks traylon burks excuse me guess what do you know who he's recruited by do you know who he's brought in by chad morris kj jefferson chad morris grant morgan leader of that defense chad morris like these are all bryles or i keep saying bryles chad morris players that he is utilizing better than he did and he's getting some of his own he got in the transfer uh defensive end from mizzou um williams who you'll be familiar with because georgia's offensive line is not very good and he's probably going to get in there a lot on <laughs> saturday but like i I just I hate when coaches do that and when programs and fan bases buy that because it's nonsense. If you're a good coach, you can get a lot more pretty quickly. Like Heupel's getting more out of this group right away. And if he had gotten the right guy in the portal, if he had not gotten Milton and he'd gotten somebody else, I mean, we're looking at a totally different situation. But Hooker is fine. Uh, look at Eli Drinkwitz. He was solid out of the gate. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall was solid out of the gate. Um there are coaches who come into bad situations or situations where you're going the wrong way and you don't have to just do this speak where it's like, Oh, we have to be two and 10 and then just believe in me and we'll go three and nine. And then in year three, after I've made $17 million, then we're, we're going bowling and stuff like that. It's just a, it's a cop out and it's, um, it's just nonsense because you really don't know how quickly it's going to be. And it's like Clark Lee's going to get like seven years to fix Vanderbilt. And they do all this other stuff like hiring Barton Simmons and uh, spending but more it's on Vanderbilt. Th- it's like, what is a brand new coach supposed right. to do? He's just supposed to come in and start winning eight, nine games. It's James like, Franklin did. Yeah. James Franklin is a big time coach, but that's my sure. whole point is we didn't know at and the also, time. So like how many years did it take James Franklin to not very long? What was it? Was it not year two? that he was going bowling at Vanderbilt. What was it? Cause he's 64 and 28 career. And if he was yet, yeah, no 88 and 43, excuse me, even better. So he, I want to pull yeah, this up. You're right. Year two and year three. He, oh, he won nine. nine he won nine games in year also, two at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt was, that was like the best period of Vanderbilt football though. He kind of inherited like, I mean, I guess they got a couple two-win seasons in there. I'm thinking Jay Cutler. I guess that's true. That's fair. But that's what I'm saying. When you find the right coach, he makes do with what you have, and then he gets the most out of those ex-players from the uh, the previous coaching staff, and then he brings in his own guys. The right coach will get the most out of what you have, and you don't have to do this bare-bones nonsense where it's like you're supposed to buy in just because he said he's building a program and redoing the culture. And it's like, 
Who cares? Just go win games. If you were a good, like you're talking about Miami yeah. versus Florida State. Like yeah. Back to the original. Well, that my whole like, point is like Mar- Mike yeah. Norvell. It's like three and six, zero oh and mm-hmm. four. Like talk about what Scott Frost is doing yes. right now. Like there's they're losing seasons are one thing. Like Tom Herman's getting fired for you know not winning the Big Twelve. It's like right. I thought that was completely just premature. Like he, they, Texas, Texas was not good when Tom Herman took over. And they became a top 10 to 15 team a few times. Like, but they're not winning national championships, so you fire him. It's mm-hmm. like, Norvell is, I mean, I, I can kind of feel you with Norvell because, like, there's nothing that looks like it's getting better. But right. Miami, like, they went 8-3 and three in year two of, of Manny Diaz. So, like, they're obviously 2-2 two and two right now. But I think that's just, people are just overreact so much. I think you just got to give people time because... It just, I don't know. You just can't be. I feel like eventually you can be a job that people don't want because you only have two or three years to fix that thing, and then, or else you'll get fired. Like, I, that's kind of a position that Tennessee finds them in right now. It's like, we got, obviously, Lane Kiffin left for a, another job after one year, but you go through Derek Dooley and Butch Jones, and who, who's after Butch Jones? Jeremy Pruitt? Yes. But then, what you're missing there so is Butch like Jones won with Derek Dooley players and was fixing it, and it was he he didn't have to do three years of awfulness. Jeremy Pruitt was a bad coach because he just made it seem like Butch he had to Jones be terrible. Won with yeah. his guys, though, I mean, Butch Jones came in and started like instantly recruiting better for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like he needed a couple years to honestly. <laughs> it seemed mental because he did return Tennessee to relevance and like mm-hmm. had them as like a contender. But then it just felt like once the negative articles came out, like he just like couldn't handle it. And it just became more of an off the field type thing. Like, and they just, that, that team that was so good in, in 2016 just fell apart at the end of the season. I think the pressure just got to him more than anything else. So like you said, you gotta find a guy that fits. Uh, it's definitely tough, but, um, Heupel's already getting that right now. Like everything I'm reading and listening to this week is just that like we're cool with the play calling, playing we're cool playing three quarters of competent football against Florida, but like the recruiting has like Walter Nolan needs to be a Tennessee volunteer. Like that is an important, important thing. I'm gonna see him in person on Friday. I'm very excited about it. But um nice. yeah, no, recruiting is what it's gonna come down to with Heupel. And I think it's just Tennessee's a really, really high, high pressure job. Um, similar to Texas, I think, with the expectations and trying to um, be expected to compete in the SEC East every year. But it's it's weird because I was listening to VolQuest um, during my my trip this morning, and uh, one of the things he talked about was like one of I think it was Brent Hubbs talking about his kid, and his kid's like sixteen and has no memory. He's never been alive when Tennessee was uh, good, and Tennessee was. Um, beating up on georgia florida and bama and like those weren't all guaranteed losses and like i think he mentioned that he he told me he's like you know tennessee beat bama seven years in a row at one point and that's just like it's for someone who was not around or someone you who only has a 16-year context of college football beating alabama seven years in a row with this what you know from tennessee is it's just wild it's just uh things change very very quickly yeah, just Bama in general is just mm. kind of like I prom they no they weren't they weren't this Bama they were just like a regular team back then mm-hmm. like they they obviously were one of the had such a rich history but it's like no we remember win. the Zao years they won, like, and the one Mike Shula championship in like a 
20, 30 year period there. Um, but yeah, exactly. The Mike Shula years, the, the Mike Price mm-hmm. uh, months. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's like they were just a regular team that you could actually beat a couple times a year. But that's uh, that's ancient history. Uh, Matt Green, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Is there going to be an injury that JT Daniels does not pop up on the injury port for this year? Yeah, I saw that uh, this week. He's got uh, a lat issue. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he's just a gamer. And I guess he's just dinged up. And, oh, also, in mm. terms of Georgia's offensive line, he took that little dig. Mm. Allowed two sacks this year. Just just want to throw that out there. Georgia's offensive line. A lot line. of pressure, though. I'm not talking about sacks. It's about pressure. They're, yeah, they're, they're not, this is not your traditional Georgia offensive line. And we've seen how Andrew Thomas has fared as one of the worst offensive tackles in football. We know what happened Andrew with Thomas, Isaiah Wilson. What? I don't know, man. I, I think Andrew to, Thomas is solid. No, like, he's not. I can pull it up for you right now. Andrew Thomas has been awful to this point in his NFL career. Well, he's what year two right mm-hmm. now. Just, just relax. Uh, I, see, you're getting a little defensive. I'm telling you the hey, offensive line at he, Georgia. Andrew mm-hmm. Thomas was a staple for three years at Georgia. What he does mm-hmm. now, you know, that's that's the NFL's problem. <laughs> like, same with Isaiah Wilson. Like, Isaiah Wilson was a stud for two years mm-hmm. in Georgia. And, you know, now he's in the NFL. You know, he got some money. A little immature. But uh, he's in, he's making a comeback with the Giants. We'll see. You can get those uh, those those Georgia, some, some 2017 uh, Rose Bowl memories uh, up in up in New York, in the Meadowlands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're, they're loaded, too. Like, Tate Crowder, Lorenzo Carter. There's so many Georgia players on uh, on the Giants these days. So, there are. Giants are also, like, the worst team in the league. So, I don't know what that means. Well, no, here's what I'll tell you. Would you like to guess where... So, starting left tackle for the Dogs. Um, Sailor, right? Am I missing... Isn't it Sailor? What are you... Salyer? Oh, Sawyer, yeah. Sawyer, yeah. Where would you guess he ranks among all left tackles in college football to this point per PFF? Um, I don't know. You hit me with it. 194. Salyer is a more natural guard, so mm-hmm. he's kind of playing left tackle out of necessity. Roger okay. Jones has been playing some left tackle too. So if Roger Jones can come along, you know he's a former five star. Mm-hmm. Maybe Salyer moved back to the guard position where he's more comfortable. Well, 61.7 PFF grade. So he's 194 out of 389 eligible tackles who've gotten enough snaps to register to this point. You got Schaefer, who's your best offensive lineman to this point at left guard, 49th. Center, Van Pran, 34th. Erickson, 145th. McClendon, 91st. Yeah, I mean... I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying it's atrocious. I'm saying this is not an elite offensive line, and when you have a quarterback dealing with a lot of different injuries but on the bright has side he been under pressure since the since the clemson game like he yeah. really hasn't been hit like hardly at all but he's also really good about that jt daniels is really good under pressure and i think that's something that helps when you have a bad offensive line is that jt actually is a really good quarterback under pressure like, maybe they're not a great offensive line but i definitely wouldn't say george is a bad offensive line i think they're still one of the top like upper echelon offensive lines in the sec mm, i don't know but it, you know what's funny would you get who would you guess is their best uh graded wide receiver to this point for georgia mm-hmm. lad mcconkey it is lad mcconkey hey you're disrespecting lad mcconkey you know it's 
Put some respect on that man. You're also a bit disrespecting Brock Bowers, who's like that was a joke. I just like messing with you. I, big time I, prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, Zeus White's been okay. He's been good, so he's he's fine. Um, Burton's been bad. Uh, Rosemi Jack Saint. Uh, Rosemi, how do you say his last name? You just say people have been bad. I mean, it's like that's Burton like, is uh, 185 out of 664. You pro have football focus. I don't. I don't take that for anything, man. Like pro football focus is giving Emory Jones the Heisman at the start of the season. Hey, like, he, right. he looks like a Heisman kind of guy. Like, what? The last couple weeks, more, he's done more picks than touchdowns this year. It's about his about? running game, sir. I just watched him dice this Tennessee well, run defense up in the second half. He could play. Well, okay, if he's Eric Crouch type player <laughs> in the Heisman anymore, Florida's so. still in the SEC title conversation. I mean, yeah, there's a long Matt Corral is the favorite right now. Are you telling me? Yeah, he might not even be the best quarterback on his team. I mean, most people think Anthony Richardson is better. I mean, Emory Jones has been solid. Um, That dude does what he needs to do to win. I'm just not going to put that much emphasis in pro football focus after Mm. four games when Mm. half the teams in the country have played one conference game. It's like it just doesn't really mean anything at this point. Well, no, it's all about the defense. George is just loaded everywhere. Um, You get Tyke Smith back this week. Um, everyone I read loves Carter. Like Carter's a future star um, on that defensive line. Jalen Carter is. Yeah. Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis are unblockable. Like those guys are just ridiculous. And then the linebackers are just so fast. They get after the pass rush. Uh, get after the passer. Like, and I think that I think the secondary is getting slept on for how just because of how good the front six or seven is. Like I think. I mean, I think do you he, trust speed? No, but I think Speed's not a starter anymore. I think it's Ringo and Darian Kendrick. I mean, mm. Darian Kendrick's been—he's okay. I mean, he—he he hasn't really. I mean, he hasn't really given up any big plays. It was Amir mm. Speed that gave up the big plays for for South Carolina. So, you know, I think I think Georgia's secondary. Do we just want to get into Georgia Arkansas? Get well, let yeah. pick them. All right. Well, we can, we should get into our pick them. So, but before we do that, folks, don't forget you can listen to Matt and I on this very feed twice a week uh we do this uh this is a day behind because i was traveling and away and had fun dental stuff it was great got my mouth destroyed for an hour and 45 minutes in the dental chair it was great but they had fish above me to calm me and i don't understand the whole fish thing but um seeing sharks swim above you is apparently something that's supposed to calm you but that did not uh end up being the case but you know I'm a trooper, so I'm here. And then, uh, what am I doing? Oh, you're right. Matt Green, we can play on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. So go follow Matt for all his great college football insight. Uh, follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. Go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. Uh, subscribe to the Sports Renaissance Man, my my daily writing place at SportsRenaissanceMan.Substack.com. And uh, if you like listening to us and you're an Apple Podcast listener, make sure you drop us a five-star rating and a review Matt Green, are we starting with a game where people are hyping up? It's where game day is. For a game that Georgia, your Georgia Bulldogs, are favored to win this game by 18 and a half. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to bring up the noon slot again. You know, I really grinded my gears. Mm. But uh, I'm really glad to see game day and everything be there. It's a top 10 matchup. And I feel like it's going to, I feel like that's going to prevent it, uh, you know, sleepwalking. At, at this noon kickoff so it, the the big game atmosphere will be there so I, you see the 18 and a half point spread and that's mm-hmm. obviously a huge number but i don't know like looking like looking at arkansas's just their their schedule through the through the year so far like 
Texas and Texas A&M are obviously good wins, you know, and like no one's taking that away from them. But Texas was at home, like they had that whole atmosphere and everything. And then Texas A&M, like we watched that game this past week. Like Zach Calzada might be the worst starting quarterback in the SEC right now. Mm-hmm. Like A&M just looks bad offensively. And when KJ Jefferson got hurt, like there was absolutely no pulse in Arkansas's offense. And you know respect their defense for you know just keeping the lead in that game but i feel like any just serviceable quarterback in this conference is playing for texas a&m and and they beat arkansas last week i just don't think they really put a&m away but a&m's offense just looks so bad right now so with that being their biggest win like i we all know a&m is was not the number seven team in the country right like the i don't know what they are in the polls now but i'm sure it's somewhere closer to accurate and then KJ Jefferson with his health being a question, like like this game was 37-10 last year in Fayetteville when it was 7-5 at halftime with with Juan Mathis starting and and Georgia ended up winning that game by 27 points. Like this Arkansas team is obviously better than they were last year, but with JT Daniels, this Georgia team is clearly better than they were last year and I think the passing game is is what's being slept on the most because like Georgia, everyone wanted, you know, Georgia to open up. Todd Monken had this opened up offense and everything. And now the rushing stats aren't there. It's like, well, yeah, we're throwing the ball more. And now everyone's complaining that the, the rushing yards aren't there. So part of it's just splitting carries with four guys. Like, I think they're all averaging five or six yards a carry. But, but Georgia's running game hasn't been what it usually is. But I think it's because they're they're hitting these 40-yard bombs, like these 50-yard bombs. Like, Georgia's hit multiple deep balls, like, in every game this season except for Clemson and obviously Clemson is by far the best team they've played so while we still don't know exactly how good these two teams are because of the schedule I just feel like I feel like Georgia is better than they were last year and this being at home like I could see it being like a close game at halftime but I think I think Georgia wins and I think they cover um hmm I've gone back and forth. Who are you more confident in, this one or the Ole Miss Alabama pick? We haven't gotten to that pick yet, but just as a, as a, I would say I'm much more confident in this pick than okay. Alabama because I just don't think Arkansas is there yet. Like I think Arkansas is is nice and they're they're building something legit, but I think Georgia and Alabama I think are just on another level than everyone else. I just don't see them competing this year with the top of the SEC. Well, on the road too here's what we're going to find out because if arkansas wins this game we're looking at an lsu situation from two years ago right or an auburn situation from a decade ago where it's like okay we have to completely recalibrate what we think of arkansas where if arkansas wins this it's like a sam Pittman and orgeron situation or it's just like it's bryles and barry odom just the the ocdc combination with the talent they have on both sides of the ball with all their super seniors that they have a bunch of 24 year olds is it like they just caught lightning in a bottle and now we have to look at them because if they win this game they're a top two team in the country um if they win this game we're talking and if they win this game we're talking about them as a playoff team like as a national five i don't know if i don't know I don't know if they'll put them top two. I think they could. You have to. If you beat yeah. Texas, A&M, and Georgia this early in yeah. the season, you That's have fair. to. That's fair. Um, that being said, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, I think they – this is tough. This is a murderous row situation for them. Brutal early season for them. I do think Arkansas is good. KJ Jefferson, if he's healthy, 
is going to be able to do some stuff. Uh, Mike Wright had more success than Ken Seals in his snaps. Like, I think Georgia's, you're going to have a better chance of doing something against this front if you can get outside the tackles. Like, running up the middle is not going to work. So, I, I think Traylon Burks, I don't know who Georgia's going to put on him, but I'm interested to see what that matchup's like because he really went off against a, a better secondary against A&M. Uh, last week, so I'm curious to see how Arkansas gets their receivers involved. I think Kendall Bryles is a really good OC, so we'll see what he schemes up for this group. Um, and Arkansas's defense, I do think, is legit. So I, I'm curious, but the thing is, they send three, and they've been getting pressure. They have they put a bunch of people in coverage, and then they send three. I don't think you're going to be able to do that with Georgia because they're just they have so many different running backs that I, I think they're going to want to run the ball up the middle. And if you're going to only have three men at the line. I don't think that's sustainable against the way Georgia plays. So I'm curious to see how Barry Odom um, schemes this game up because I think they're going to have to play differently than what we've seen Arkansas play to this point. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say right now that Georgia wins, but I do think Arkansas covers. I think this is. I think this is going to be a closer game than the Arkan or than the Ole Miss Alabama game. Okay, and yeah, that's the the one thing is I think they have to run the ball to be able to compete. Mm-hmm. Like their passing game is just not that dynamic. I think they mm-hmm. like obviously Trayvon Burke is you know one of, maybe the best receiver in the SEC, mm-hmm. but they have to be able to run the ball and like have to be able to run the ball up the middle honestly because this side to side stuff is honestly like never worked against Georgia. Georgia's <laughs> just under Kirby Smart teams like Georgia's just so fast. And they're with their linebackers and safeties like that just typically just doesn't work. You have to be gashing them up the middle and nobody has been able to do that on this on these defensive tackles. So I I think uh, I think that's why I like Georgia's. But we'll keep it moving. Um, We got Friday night. Iowa, the fifth ranked Iowa Hawkeyes go into College Park, Maryland. Three and a half point favorite on the road. This is your home dog of the week, sir. Mm. Give me the Terps. I know you've been hyping up Maryland for a couple weeks now. I may have to be stealing your thunder. Mm. But, um, you know, I just feel like weird things happen on weekdays. You know, I just I feel like so, so unconfident in anyone going on the road on a Thursday or Friday night. Like, it just, I think what, Virginia just pulled out a win, even though Miami kind of, you know, gave it to them. But I just... Iowa just seems like they're just playing with playing with dynamite kind of thing. You know, like they're just they're just kind of barely beating teams and the offense is giving you nothing and that's going to catch up to them at some point. Like their defense is legit, but I think I think Maryland's got, you know, with Talia Tagovailoa like 10 touchdowns and one pick so far, completing 75% of his passes. I um I don't think they're going to be able to catch up. And so um, they're going to be able to score with Maryland. So that's why I like Maryland. So the over-under in this game is outright. 47 and a half. I would take that's, the over on that, right? Feels low, but I was also been able to kind of get teams to play their style. So it's mm. tough. I agree with you. I'm also taking the Terps here. I think Spencer Petras scares me. He has not been sturdy enough. Like it's one thing to do what they do against Iowa state. Um, it's another thing entirely to do it against this Maryland offense. I think this Maryland offense is legit. Talia is legit. 
and I think he will not be as successful as he's been in weeks past, but I do trust Maryland to be able to score enough. They know who they are offensively. I think their explosive plays are just going to be too much for Iowa and Petrus to keep up with. I, I think Iowa still has that quarterback problem and that downfield uh, attack problem, and this is just a bad, bad matchup for them. So... Um, maybe if this was at home, I might lean more towards the Hawkeyes at like a nooner in uh, even on Iowa a City. Saturday. Yeah, a nooner on a Saturday, yeah. I would take Iowa. But in College Park on Friday, give me give me the Terps here. All right, and uh, moving to the ACC noon on Saturday. Mm. Pitt at Georgia Tech, and mm. this one's at Bobby Dodd, not Mercedes Benz Stadium. And Georgia <laughs> Tech is a three and a half point home dog. I really struggle with this game personally. Like Jeff Sims was supposed to be that guy coming into the year, got benched, but coming out against North Carolina, like he was at least he was at least able to run the ball well. And after Pitt lost to who Western Michigan, like I have no idea what to expect from this team. Like when when Georgia Tech almost beat Clemson, I think all of us were like, "Wow, Clemson sucks." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Georgia Tech has no business playing with them. But then they come out and just blow out North Carolina last week. And it's like, well, maybe Georgia Tech is a little better than we thought. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not excited about either of these teams. But at home, Georgia Tech getting three and a half. Give me me the jackets. Oh, man. Um, Pat Narduzzi has already laid his stink bomb this year. Um Kenny Pickett's good, man. He throws downfield. He, I've seen him in person. the The Pittsburgh passing offense is legit this year. I, I think Pitt is a little bit more, more complete than the Jackets to this point. I think it was a good win. This feels to me like they just had this big, like, season altering win. They're feeling great. They're like, we just beat North Carolina at, at the bins. We're feeling good. And then Pat Narduzzi and the Pitt Panthers come in and are like, hey, by the way, you're still you're still a ways away like we're we're still good and uh we're going eight and four this year and that means we're beating you uh in this game uh give me give me the the panthers to win and cover all right big time acc coastal matchup that Mm -hmm. we'll all be checking out Mm -hmm. and then the uh the next one i think these are both in the atlantic correct the top of the atlantic (laughs) not the not the clemson tigers but the Louisville Cardinals and the Demon Deacons of Wake Forest. This is a 12:30 kickoff. Wake Forest is a six and a half point favorite at home. What are your thoughts about this one? I uh, I got really upset about how people talk about Wake this week, where it's like, oh, the ACC's out of the playoff. Like BC and Wake Forest deserve more credit than that. Like I don't understand why people poo-poo these smaller schools doing well or out of the gate and they're like oh they won't do it they're not clemson so who cares it's like well then what are they playing for like no be excited be like yeah if wake forest goes undefeated who knows like they should be in the playoff like that's how it works sam hartman's awesome wake forest and dave claus like that's a really tough job the demon deacons is a tough tough job i think it's like the smallest school in fbs that isn't that correct it is it's like yeah it's like 2500 students or something like that it's amazing that they're foreign out and what clausen's doing there um I, <laughs> I've i gone back and forth on this because I think Louisville's figured out some stuff and I think they might be better than people realize to this point. Um, Satterfield's a good coach and I think, like we've talked about on this podcast, Malik Cunningham putting up good numbers again. 
I'm excited for this Cunningham versus Hartman matchup because they could not be two more different quarterbacks and these styles could not be more different. But until Wake loses, give me the Deacons to win, but give me the cards to cover. Okay, so you did it. See, that's where I was um, I was going back and forth on it because the six and a half points is what I was uh, mm-hmm. kind of you know questioning. But yeah, I, I feel like I like Wake Forest better. They've their closest game was a 20 point win at Virginia so far. So like they've been putting points on people. Um, you know, Sam Hartman has looked, you know, pretty solid this year. I have like Malik Cunningham. He's, he seems like he's taking steps this year, but, but at home, um, I'm going to take Wake Forest. I'm also going to take him to cover. Sam Hartman, 16th best graded quarterback in per PFF. Um, great running game, great offensive line. They got a great, great uh, tackles. Uh, give me, give me the Deacons. Go Deeks, man. They're the team of the pod this fall. Go Deeks. But Louisville to cover, right? Louisville to cover. Okay, and then this next one, I feel like the theme of this week is like this is like the crossroads week of college football. Mm. It feels like, like there's so many games this week that it's like. You like Arkansas, Georgia, or Ole Miss, Bama. Like, are, if you're a legit contender, like you're gonna do it right now. And there's mm-hmm. also just the, kind of these teams that are trying to become contenders. I think like Louisville, Wake Forest, and we'll get to Baylor, Oklahoma State later. But this is another one of those. Like, this could be a college football playoff. Uh, so, why am I looking for the word? The team that makes the college football playoff could come out of this game. We got Cincinnati mm. at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a two-point home dog, and I went back and forth on this game. What, what you, first? You give me your thoughts on this one. I I have not been impressed by Notre Dame to this point. Cone still beat up. Um, Buckner's not available. It might get some Drew Pine in this one. Cincinnati knows exactly who they are. This is their Super Bowl. This that is, is literally what I wrote down. Like, they have to win this game. Like, this is everything um, for them this year. Everyone came back. Ritter came back. Like, if you win this game, it's smooth sailing from here on out. And then you control your own destiny. And it's like, then you really do have a really good possibility of making the playoff with just how this is all working to this point. Um, I I like the Cincinnati team right now. I, I think their offense is significantly better. I think... What's going to be interesting is I think both of these defenses are top 10 in college football. So, which which gives here? Because Notre Dame's defense is legit. They're getting better um, with Freeman there. Uh, Freeman also came from Cincinnati. He has experience. He knows Desmond Ritter. He knows what he likes to do. He knows the Cincinnati offense from top to bottom. I think that's going to be something to watch. I think that's part of the reason this game will be super close. But I do think Cincinnati is the better football team this year. I do not like this Notre Dame offense at all. I like They cannot run the football with two talented dudes back there. The offensive line, they've started how many different left tackles this year? I just, I don't trust Notre Dame's offense to be able to do what they've done in years past and survive. I think this is where their luck, uh, this is where it runs out. And I think Ritter and this Bearcats team wins and covers. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, Notre Dame is just seems like they've been playing with fire and just, you know, they, none of these teams that they've played so far are good teams. And I think the way they've played so far, like a good team would have beaten them mm-hmm. at any point this season with the way they've played. And like you said, this is Cincinnati's Super Bowl. 
Like they haven't faced a quarterback like Desmond Ritter yet this year. I, I also like Cincinnati to go on the road, get the dub, and cover the two points. Um, it's interesting because if Notre Dame, like this, this is the Cincinnati's best chance to make the playoff because they have a potential win of Notre Dame. If Notre Dame can just stay good, like we've talked about, Notre Dame's schedule is is pretty weak this year. If Notre Dame can hang out and be you know, seventh or eighth or so all year, Cincinnati just has to be ahead of them. So if Notre Dame can just slightly work their way up in the polls, get to five, six, that's Cincinnati's shot to get in the playoff, honestly. Like, they need to win this game, and then Notre Dame has – they have to have Notre Dame take care of business the rest of the way because you can't put Notre Dame – because Notre Dame is going to get the benefit of the doubt in the rankings despite their their uh, – poor schedule like they would get the benefit of the doubt more than Cincinnati would but if they get this win like you have to rank them higher so Cincinnati if we get some chaos in college football they could be a legitimate uh, college football playoff team so um, keeping it moving in the Big 12 330 on Fox we got Oklahoma going to the Little Apple you know I'm a Kansas State guy mm-hmm. they're a 10 and a half point home dog two straight wins over the Sooners I got a stat for you. Oklahoma has just not been – they've not been what they're supposed to be. And not only what they're supposed to be, what they always are. Just this explosive offense just isn't what it was. What do you think is the longest touchdown Oklahoma has scored versus FBS competition? Because they played Western Carolina and hung like 70 on them. Not counting that one. Mm-hmm. So the longest touchdown that Oklahoma has this season against an FBS team. Care to take a guess? Mm. Well, Ritter has or Ritter um, Rattler has not gone downfield a bunch. Um, hmm. Hmm. It's, Eric Gray really hasn't posted <laughs> out. I'm trying to think. I I'm trying to twenty yards. Six yards. Six. That's the longest touchdown they have versus FBS competition. Like this offense just isn't explosive, like like it has been, and definitely like we expected with Spencer Rattler being like the clear uh, early season Heisman favorite, so or preseason Heisman favorite. So, you know, Deuce Vaughn, you know that's my guy. He Oklahoma State took away the uh, took away the running game last week, but this guy was still able to get you know over seventy yards and a touchdown through the air. He's just a dynamic athlete. And, you know, they're going to have that home crowd in the Little Apple. I think OU wins, but I'm going to take Kansas State covering the 10 and a half. Mm. Um, I think Oklahoma is really bad at covering when they're uh, favored in these Big 12 games. Um, is Do we even know who's going to be under center for Kansas State on Saturday? Is that still up in the air? There's a chance Skylar Thompson's back, but I don't think I don't think he's – I think it's – doubtful honestly. okay that's a big difference thompson changes a lot of how we look at this game for me um if it's howard i i just i don't i think oklahoma's defense has been a lot better than i may have expected to this point um is this a breakout game for for mims who's not been anything hazelwood woods um who do we who do we see does um rattler really start breaking out but uh, and then you look at it rattler hasn't been uh, looking at all his different numbers not like he's terrible he's just not there's just something off it's not it's, off it's the lack of explosive right plays. i think that's what it is but it seems like that's more the receivers or 
is it him just not putting receivers in situations for them uh, to bring out? I'm not really sure. I kind of want to dive into some Oklahoma tape this week and see see what comes out. But um, I don't know. Give me give me the Sooners. I don't see them going down three straight times to K State. Give me the Sooners to win and cover. All right. For the record, I'm not calling the upset. I I want to call the upset, but mm-hmm. I'm getting Oklahoma to win, but. You don't just come and get cover the spread in a little apple, all right? Just you just don't do it. They call it Bill Snyder Family Stadium, so not Bill Snyder Stadium, his family stadium. Yeah, it's it's strange. He I want to talk to him about football. that. What does that mean? Like Bill Snyder, great coach, all time great. Probably just one of those people that's like so humble. He's like, mm-hmm. don't don't name the stadium after me make it the whole family I it's like know. no it's only you man like you built this there's no fa- yeah, bill snyder is, family <laughs> and it's like wouldn't it be the snyder family like yeah the bill snyder family like that's just kind of weird do you not but, refer um, to your future family as the mac green family you don't think tori yeah, would be on board with that i don't think so i think she would uh, want some love in there mm. but um that's always a weird thing when they say mr and mrs matt green or something mm-hmm. it's like that i don't know Seems like a strange custom to me. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll keep it moving. Uh, our three thirty prime time CBS game. I know it's not real prime time, but it's SEC prime time. That three thirty slot. The Ole Miss Rebels going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. Alabama is a fourteen and a half point favorite in this game. What are your thoughts? You're a big Ole Miss guy, even though Lane Kiffin is a clown and all that, like Mike, Mike Michael Wilbon said. What a terrible take. Awful take. Like, just say you haven't watched college football in the last, like, seven years. Mm -hmm. Like, that's like a seven-year-old take. Like, everyone loves Lane Kiffin now. Like, so many teams would would just be begging for him to be their head coach. Tennessee fans wanted him back after everything. USC fans honestly want him back after everything. I, I don't know. Like, his stuff, like, the story, was that this week where he was talking about Blake Sims? Where it was like, yeah, if we get this wrong, what was it called? The oh shit play or something? Oh, I didn't see that. So basically, it was that play with Blake Slim, Blake, Blake Sims, where he lined it. Uh, who was that tight end? He lined up. Blake Slims is a better name. It is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, he lined up a dude. Uh, what game was it? Um, now I, I'll send it to you later. But anyway, it was just this play call where it was super out of out of the ordinary, and he was like, "If I get this wrong, Saban's gonna kill me." And uh, it ended up working, but it was basically a design where the offensive lineman lined up outside and uh, the tight end lined up on the line. So he was disguised as a blocker and he was just wide open in the middle of the field. And it was just a good play call where the defense was confused about who was an eligible receiver and it, it worked. But yeah, no, Kiffin's, Kiffin's awesome. And uh, we're, we're very pro, pro lane train on this, on this program. Matt you Green. Too. Um that all being said, Ole Miss's defense is not fixed. Ole Miss's defense is still bad. Uh, Bama, as much trouble as they had against Florida, they ironed some of that out this week uh, against Southern Miss. Obviously not the same kind of competition, but great sound bites from, uh, from uh, Will Hall, Southern Miss's coach, uh, former OC at Tulane. Um, I just... I still think it's just going to be a little bit too hard. But I will say, this is something I thought about. Do you know who Alabama plays next week? Uh, not off the top of my head. Texas A&M. I haven't pulled that. 
at A&M. That's mm-hmm. the 8 o'clock CBS game. Right. Is this it? Is this where Nick Saban finally loses to an assistant, former assistant? Is it one of the two offensive guys? Is it what like playing Kiffin and Jimbo? Hey, this A&M team, that's not even a question. Like, they're not beating Alabama. This A&M team is not good. Yeah. It could happen this week if it's going to happen. Like, A&M's not beating Bama. Like... Lane Kiffin's got something like I mean what what was the score last year like 59 48 or something mm-hmm. like that like they're they're gonna score some points I just I don't think they're gonna stop Alabama and I also I don't, I don't either wonder, sorry you can go you can finish your pick I you don't think you gave your pick yet I have not I just I don't like anything on old Mrs. defense to this point like what are they elite at they're not good in coverage they're not good at rushing the passer they don't have any stars in this defense. I really think this defense is going to get carved up by Bryce Young and the backs that that Alabama is going to do. I think Alabama is going to run all over them. I think they're going to keep the ball away from Ole Miss. Give me the Crimson Tide to win and cover. That's uh, that's shocking to me. I thought you were definitely going to be on the Matt Corral Lane Kiffin wagon. I could see this being a bad game. I think Saban wants to win like he wants to bury in this game this is a big I think one for him you kind of alluded to some of the intangible things i was thinking about this game like there's just so much talk about how great dan mullen and florida w- played against alabama there's just so much talk about oh florida this florida that like alabama you know they're not as good as we thought like there's so much the opposite of rat poison out mm-hmm. there for this alabama team and it feels like especially at home like, it just feels like this Alabama team is going to come ready to play. Like, mm-hmm. Ole Miss is, is going to do something. Like, I think they're they're going to be competitive in this game. But I, I just wonder, if are we making too big of a deal of what Ole Miss has done so far? Like, they're averaging 50 a game. Like, Matt Corral is, like, Heisman favorite and everything. But it's also Louisville, Austin P and Tulane. Like, they haven't beaten an SEC team. Like, Louisville seems solid in the – in the ACC, but you know, we don't know how good hardly anyone in the ACC is right now. So I just kind of wonder if we're, if we want Lane Kiffin to be there so bad or trying to like talk this into existence, like Bama's won five straight over Ole Miss. Do you want to, do you care to guess how many points per game they've averaged over those five straight? 48. 60. Oh, my goodness. They've averaged 60 a game in the last five against Alabama, against Ole Miss. And at least Ole Miss scored almost 50 last year. But, yeah, I think Ole Miss is good. But I, it feels like they're not – it's kind of like Arkansas. I feel like they're a little ahead of Arkansas probably right now. But they're not, they're not with Alabama yet. And especially this game being on the road, just like Arkansas too, like I don't think – I don't think Ole Miss has what it takes to to stay within two touchdowns of uh, of Alabama. So I'm also going to take Bama to cover. Okay. And uh, moving forward, six o'clock ESPN. We got the Gators on the road, Kroger Field. <laughs> Kentucky is an eight and a half point home dog. What say you about this game? Can someone wake me up when Florida loses to Kentucky? They lost to him like three years ago. Or yeah, two years ago. What was that? Once I think it was in Mullen's, the, Mullen's first year. But was that what once in twenty? Oh yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was like a thirty-year streak or something. That's what I'm saying. Where I'm like, I just, 
I think this will be maybe a little, this is going to be a, in Kentucky, a little chilly, a little chilly for the Gators. Um, <laughs> I still don't like this Miss uh, this Kentucky offense. I think Will Levis is not not that dude. He's not shown me enough. Um, they still run the ball a little too much for my liking. Wandale Robinson's put up really good numbers to this point. We thought he would be a good player for them, transferring in from uh, Nebraska back to his home state. But I think Florida figured out some stuff in the last two weeks. They know who they are. Richardson's not getting time because I think they've realized that this is bad for Emory's kind of his confidence to not have to worry about Richardson coming in when he starts struggling. So he he rolls out. He knows what he is. He doesn't go downfield at all. Uh, this is going to be this won't be the most aesthetically pleasing football game you ever watch, folks. I think there won't be a lot of downfield passing in this one. A lot of side to side. I do think people are over uh, over and not even over analyzing, just kind of getting a little bit too up in arms about uh, Grantham's defense. Florida still is a top 25 defense. And I think I trust their offense still a little bit more. I trust Emory more than uh, Levis. Give me, give me the Gators to win and cover. So um, looking at this game, I think this is similar to Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Mm. This, this is, is their Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Okay. Like, this is it. And then, this is kind of another one of those crossroad games. Like, if Kentucky is going to be a contender, like, they got to beat somebody. And so, I'm not picking them to beat Florida. But when you look at Florida right now, Kyrie Elam is questionable. I think he might even be doubtful for this game. Like, Wando Robinson, I think, has been their best playmaker. Like, obviously, the. Chris Rodriguez has been the, the bell cow at, at running back. It, but Wando Robinson is who's going to have to be the X factor because I think Florida is very good against the run. So mm. can, that's what that's what's going to be – that's how Kentucky's going to win this game is if they're able to establish a run. Because if, if they establish a run, like, they could legitimately beat Florida. But I think with Wando Robinson, I think it's see him making some plays, especially if Elam is out. And Emory Jones, he's just turnover prone at this point. This is his first – SEC road start and it's you know it's Lexington Kentucky this isn't Death Valley this isn't even Neyland Stadium but I think there's something to that night hostile road environment and you know if, if he turns the ball over he's so far on the season was he five touchdowns to six picks I think four touchdowns to five interceptions mm-hmm. so if he turns the ball over like that's what can get a road crowd involved and, and this Kentucky rushing offense has been legit so like you said i kind of feel like this is going to be kind of an ugliest game and i think that definitely works in kentucky's favor and so i'm taking florida win but I'll, I'll take kentucky to cover the eight and a half things are about to get really bad for kentucky do you know who they have in this this next four game stretch oh i know they play georgia next week right they have lsu or before that oh wow so they have Florida, LSU, at Georgia, at Mississippi State, then at home at Tennessee. Mm. I uh, that's gonna be tough. This is a six and six, seven and five Kentucky team. The offense is not fixed. They beat Mizzou barely. They won by seven there. They barely I mean, beat the Mocs. Mississippi State, that's true. I've worried about how they played some inferior teams. South Carolina had them on the ropes. 
That's true, but Mississippi State and Tennessee, those aren't. I wouldn't say those are guaranteed losses. I'm not saying they're guaranteed, but I'm saying LSU's a loss, Florida's a loss, Georgia's a loss, Louisville on the road to end it. I don't know, man. This is, I, I, I am not as in on Kentucky as you are, and I think a lot of other people. I think Kentucky might be the fourth best team in the East. I think. Tennessee might be number three by this point uh, in the fall. But they're, if they just beat Vanderbilt in New Mexico State, like that's six wins. I, the I, they're going bowling. So, like, they just have to steal, like, one of those. And I could see them beating Mississippi State and Tennessee and Louisville for that matter. Like, mm. it's, a long, it's a long way from now. But, okay. I mean, this team still, still can definitely still win eight games, I think. Eight, even nine games. I just don't like this offense. And I don't like that they're playing close to inferior competition. That just tells me that like they're still not just beating the crap out of teams they should be beating the crap out of. Um, I don't know. No, Give, I trust Florida more. Fair. And um, keeping it moving to the Big 12, another crossroads game we talked about. Baylor at Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State is a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. So, so far on the year, Oklahoma State's average margin of victory is six points. They've just been, and they played some tough games. You know, they had a conference game, played Boise State uh, at Boise State, but they just have not looked good. Like this offense, like I just, I'm not a believer in this offense at all. And and looking at Baylor, they just seem like a well-rounded team. Like they look like, you know, maybe the second best team in the Big Twelve right now through through four weeks. Like it's still early, but they're first in the Big Twelve in rushing, sixth in the country in rushing. First in the Big 12 in points allowed, second in the Big 12 in, in yards allowed. Like, and this three-headed monster they have in the backfield, like they're just—they seem like a really good team. And I think I like them to go on the road and, and get the win. Why do you like them to go on the road and win here? I just—I just not a believer in Oklahoma State. Mm. This is tough, man. It, it's just so Baylor's been better against the spread this year to this point. Um, I it's almost like who do you who are you more confident in because I think Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have had weirdly the same kind of problems where their defense is keeping them alive and keeping them undefeated and they have a quarterback that we both like and Spencer Sanders and Spencer Rattler um they have run games that we should like they have playmakers outside that we should like but the offense, for whatever reason, just not not clicking and then Baylor has just found this identity running the football. Uh, their quarterback Bohannon's been good. Uh, the defense has been elite. I think Aranda's turned around that defense faster than you and I would have seen coming. But Oklahoma State at home, primetime ESPN two. This is a big moment for Baylor. I just until they do it, until I see five and O Baylor, I can't I can't see it. So give me the Cowboys, but I would not be surprised. So give me the Cowboys to win and cover, but uh, I would not be surprised if Baylor, Baylor won this game. It was only a couple years ago that they were, uh, you know, 10-win team in the Sugar Bowl, so... Well, it's that was a completely different identity. Like, that's my whole thing. It like, definitely that's, was. And that's why I'm just like, I, I don't know. We'll see. It's possible. It's possible. It is possible. We shall see. And then um, keeping it moving... Oh, can I give you one stat on this, though, game to think about with both yeah. of these defense? So Baylor's quarterback has a 60.9 passer rating when under pressure, 77.1 for Spencer Sanders. Baylor, their quarterback's passer rating when a clean pocket, 142.2. 
Spencer Sanders, though, when he has a clean pocket, 96.4. That tells me that Spencer Sanders in Oklahoma State can survive if the pocket breaks down. But if things are not perfect, Baylor kind of reminds me of Arkansas, where it's like if everything's working in their favor, then they have a really good shot of beating anybody in their conference. But like they need everything to be going in their favor. And I think Oklahoma State can win ugly. So give me the, give me the Cowboys to win and cover. All right. And um, moving on to the Big Ten, we got Indiana at Penn State. Penn State looking for revenge after that garbage call on the goal line last year in overtime. That was Indiana's marquee win of the season. Penn State is a 10.5-point favorite at home. The 10.5 part is what I struggle with the most. I definitely think Penn State is winning this game. I think they're just better than Indiana. Michael Penix Jr. just doesn't even look like the same player. Also, have you seen Indiana's schedule? Like, they low-key might have, like, the toughest schedule in college football. Like, outside of the SEC. Who do they have? Arkansas and Auburn's schedule look pretty tough, too. Well, they opened at Iowa. Mm. Loss. Week three played Cincinnati. Loss. This week they're playing Penn State. Next week, or at Penn State. This Next week, Michigan State at home. Week after that, Ohio State at home. Then at Maryland. Then at Michigan. So just a brutal stretch, and then even Rutgers after that, and that's I mean Rutgers is looking solid too. So Indiana at two and two, like this might this team might not even go bowling. Like this schedule is brutal, and um, like I I struggle with the ten and a half, but I ultimately just think Penn State's a better team, and and at home in one of these night games, I just I think they're going to take care of business. So give me the Nittany Lions. I can't believe this made the list. I can't believe this game's like on a pick Like, Penn State's winning and covering. This game is not going to be close. Penix is not right. This Indiana offense stinks. Penn State's figured some stuff out. That Penn State wins and blows them out. All right. What uh, what should have made the list? I don't know. But I just, I, when, you, when, you, when I saw this one, I was like, this one doesn't fit. Like, there are so many toss-up games on this, uh, on this slate. I guess maybe I'm just, like, going back and forth on so many different games and had to think a lot about how, where I thought they would go. This was one where I was like, oh... There is no path to Indiana winning this football game. There's there's no hesitation here. Penn State's winning this, and they're winning this pick. Yeah, that's fair. I think um, I think Michigan, Wisconsin, or uh, or even Boston College, Clemson would have uh, would have been good ones. But those didn't make our pick. Up. We can talk yeah. about those games if we want. Um, and the last one on the list is Auburn going to Death Valley, nine o'clock Eastern start. We'll try. I'll try to stay up for this one. Um, LSU is a three and a half point favorite at home. I think this has been touched on a lot, but are you aware of Auburn's last win in Death Valley? It was a long, long time ago. It was. It started with a nineteen. Mm-hmm. Nineteen ninety nine, which to some millennials like me and you doesn't seem that long ago, but that was twenty one years ago. And um, you know, so they have just going to Death Valley in a night game, and then you know, TJ Finley looks like. I would think he's the starter, but, you know, so they don't even know exactly who the starter is going into this game. I just can't get the last image out of my head of seeing Auburn converting a fourth down to beat Georgia State. Like, there's no chance they go on the road and and win in Death Valley. So so give me LSU and they'll cover. This is going to be a dumb game. Do you remember the one a couple years ago, the way Auburn lost LSU, the Joe Burrow year? Oh uh, yeah. Wait, how did that game end? That was it's at- a field goal. Yeah. 
At Auburn? Uh, I think it was at LSU. I'm thinking at Auburn, that was a, a game-winning field goal with no time left. Um, that was 2018. Then 2019? Maybe um, it was 2018. Hmm. I thought it was 2018. I know it was in LSU when Auburn lost in heartbreaking fashion. I thought Bo Nix was a freshman then. Okay. Am I misremembering that? I'll pull it up. But you can keep Maybe talking. it was 2019. No, it had to be 2019 because that was... Um, the Joe Burrow year was that year that it, that was a pretty close game. It was like a twenty-two to twenty kind of yeah, game. Yeah, but that, that's like, what I'm saying. They won. Derek uh, Brown, like Auburn's defensive line, was just kind of balling in that game. Yes, but do you remember they called like a timeout or LSU missed the first kick and then they got a redo and I think they made the second one. If I'm not misremembering that, did they call a timeout like before the kick and then he ended up making he missed it? On the timeout, uh, and- I can't remember that to be honest. So, 2018 was 22-21 at Auburn. The year you're talking about, 2019 was 23 to 20 at LSU. So, mm-hmm. you could be right about this one. Definitely, some crazy things happened in this game. LSU Auburn got hosed that one year, where the year Les Miles got fired. No, I guess LSU got hosed. Isn't that how it ended? Mm-hmm. I can't even remember that. That last play they got off that probably shouldn't have counted. I can't even remember who who won that game. I can't even remember which team it happened for, but there's just always craziness that happens in this game. You know what's interesting, too? Um, LSU has no running game whatsoever. Like, they don't even... Emory's gone. Like, they have nothing back there. Uh, There's no balance. And their defenses, I think, are pretty similar. Um, Stingley has not really done a lot for LSU this year, so I'm curious to see if he maybe does some stuff in this game. Um, But... LSU passes 65% of the time. Auburn, they're literally 50-50 on run plays and pass plays. Literally 50-50. Max Johnson's going to be throwing it all over the place in this one. I trust Max Max Johnson more here, so give me give me the Tigers. The, the yeah. LSU Tigers to win and cover, excuse me. So you think the Tigers are going to win this one? Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. LSU is winning this game, yes. You're the first person to make that joke. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. So, uh, lock it in. Bayou Bengals. So, uh, yeah. Is there any other games you're, I know we talked about Boston College, uh, Clemson. Um, what do you think about that one? You think that's a 14 and a half point? This isn't on our pick but that's a 14 and a half point spread at Clemson. Clemson's not falling below 500, right? But you know, they're actually 0 and 4 against the spread this year. Wow, I did not realize that. It's kind of bonkers. Boston College, three and one. You know, um, you know I'm a big Boston College guy. You are. You are. And hyping them up. Two and three ACC Clemson, Coastal though? Sleeper. Two and three Clemson? I mean, Atlantic. Uh, give no, me Clemson to win that one. Um, I don't want to watch any of that. It's going to be ugly. I can't believe you didn't put UConn Vanderbilt on here. I'm watching UConn Vanderbilt. It's on my DVR. I'm going to watch that Sunday at some point. I cannot wait for that game. Vanderbilt's a 14 and a half point favorite, Matt Green. You just watched Vanderbilt last Saturday. They are a 14 and a half point favorite against the Huskies. Man, I can't imagine Vanderbilt scoring 14 points on anybody, much less beating them by 14. So that that game, they shouldn't even allow a camera crew. To no, game, right? I disagree. They should, they should treat they should it like the... Bit. They should treat it like the big poop bowl. Like just like they should lean into it where it's like these two horrible teams playing like it's going to be a terrible brand of football. Like I think they should lean into it where it's like 
this is for the real college football sickos to tune in and be like, yeah, this is where I want to spend my time. I want to see how this works. I cannot wait for UConn Vanderbilt. It's going to be a delight. It's, one, it's like in my top five for this weekend. Yeah, um, you, can, you can tell me how that game goes. Wisconsin-Michigan is uh, the Gus yeah. Johnson-Joel Klatt game this week. So that one didn't make the, uh, the pick them either. Wisconsin, I was kind of surprised. Wisconsin's a two-point favorite. It is at home, but uh, I think I like Michigan. They haven't lost at home to Michigan in a long time. Yeah. But I, I think Michigan's going to win that one, actually. I'm just not a believer in this Wisconsin team. Washington going on the road at Oregon State, who's 3-1 and one coming off a drubbing of uh, the USC Trojans. I'm excited to see how that one goes. Um, Arizona State at UCLA. Two three and one Pac twelve South schools. This is like a Pac twelve South. Ten thirty Eastern oh, time. <laughs> Are you gonna be awake for it? I don't know, man. Maybe. Hey, if uh, if I can make it through LSU Auburn, then um, that one will be kind of in the second half. I might pick it up. But um, oh, also as a side note, you said it might be a little cold for the Gators in Lexington. Mm. It's supposed to be about seventy five. Ooh, not good for Kentucky. They needed to be a little bit colder than that. Yeah, it's uh, I feel like those November, those maybe those later October games, it gets a little cold up in Kentucky. But this will not be one of those. So the Gators will uh, be be comfortable in their habitat. Mm. Um, Mississippi State at A and M, I think, is really interesting. A and M's a seven point favorite. Uh, Mississippi State, like they can get them here. Like A and M's offense is awful. I'm curious to see how that goes. I, am like, I think anyone can beat A&M right now in the SEC. Like, they're just not – if you don't score points, like, you can lose. So their defense is good, but, you know, we know these Mike Leach offenses, they're kind of, you know, sink or swim, but they, they have their games where they just kind of go off. And with how A&M's looked so far, like, I wouldn't feel confident uh, in it, picking A&M. Um. There's one. Uh, there's two other ones. Oh, also, there's uh, going to Columbia, Faro Field, Tennessee <laughs> at Missouri. Mm-hmm. Missouri's a two and a half point favorite in this one. What are you? Uh, what are you thinking? It depends. Depends on who's starting. I don't think Milton's going to start in this one. But if Hooker's starting, I would be pretty floored if Tennessee doesn't win this football game. Uh, I'm looking for Jalen Hyatt to do some stuff. Uh, Tyon Evans was talking about how much he was looking forward to playing this defense this uh steve wilkes defense up there in columbia mizzou's defense is awful like they really really suck barry odom is not coaching this team anymore um yeah i'm i'm excited because i think it's gonna be really high scoring both teams are gonna put up a lot of points but i think uh tennessee should win this one they won it last year pretty handily I think, I think you scoffed when i suggested in the preseason or sc preview that that missouri might could beat tennessee i i just picked tennessee to win but I'm saying it sounds like it could be a close game. If Joe Milton plays, it's a close game. If he does not, then no. So is is Hooker? Is he good? Is he healthy? He's been practicing that... the last two days, so it okay. looks like he's going to be able to go. Okay, yeah, I would definitely agree with that assessment. Uh, there was one other one though. Where did it go? Where? Oh yeah. Do we think this is where Florida State gets their first win? Three and one. Syracuse coming to town. Florida State's favored by five and, and a half. Favored, right? How yeah. can they be favored <laughs> to beat anybody? I just, I don't know. Like, if you're ever gonna beat Florida State, like this is the time to do it. Three and one, Babers. Uh, he better get this win. Man, but if they don't get this one, they only have one more guaranteed win on the calendar. UMass. That's it. 
Are you guaranteeing anything? That I mean, this I'm guaranteeing UMass. UMass State. is so bad, like so bad. Yeah, I um at this point, I would just, I would just pick against Florida State regardless of the situation. Make them make them prove they can they can win one. Do you know what they still have on the calendar? Can I read you FSU's schedule the rest of the way? Yeah. At UNC after this, UMass at home, at Clemson, NC State at home, Miami, at Boston College, and at Florida. Wow. That they this really might be a two win <laughs> one win team. This is one and eleven. Wow. And see that's the thing. It's like you gotta give a coach time, but one and eleven, it's like that's not like that's so much worse than bad. You know, it's like you're 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 gonna go in six and six in year one or you know even five and seven or something it's mm-hmm. like those are wins like uh, 11 losses <laughs> 10 losses in a season like that's just absurd nobody does that so i don't care you know how how dry willie taggart left the cupboard like this is just this is getting out of hand like that's why I would definitely say Norvell gets fired ahead of Diaz. Like they're Florida State's just awful, and it's getting it's going to get a lot worse. They gave up their gimmies. like they already gave them up. Jacksonville State. Um, I, I just Wake Forest I mean, obviously be better. Fair, than, yeah, but they haven't necessarily had them. Honestly, with Wake Forest and Louisville kind of being better than expected, but um, I missed the Miami game being a early season rivalry. I just, mm. I just realized this is a November 13th. It just doesn't seem right. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, this is just a, this is a bad, bad situation at, in Tallahassee. I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Uh, I just want to know what the people in Vegas know that I don't know. They <laughs> not only favor them, but favor them by five and a half points. Like, they're not beating anybody. We'll see. I guess a desperate Florida State, people are just like, there's no way they drop another one then there's no way and uh, these are also based on you know gambling too not necessarily what they think just how how they're going to get action on both sides because i feel like people just want to pick florida state right they're like yeah florida state syracuse yeah florida state obviously but mm. this is a uh, this is not your father's florida state program it's not our florida state program we grew up with it i mean florida state was yeah. i mean bobby bowden was the majority of our childhood um, Matt Green, we can follow you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. We can uh, go check out all your great work there. Um, make sure if you like listening to Matt and us, Matt and I, excuse me, it's late. I'm tired. Um, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. If you have not already, send us an email at ChaseThomasPodcast at gmail.com for any college football questions you would like for us to answer. Again, that is ChaseThomasPodcast at gmail.com. Matt, a couple days. Hey, and Just yes, to reiterate, mm. Zeus is 3-0. and <laughs> Yeah, who was his home dog of the week? This week? Maryland. Okay. Friday Mar- night. Maryland, three and a half, plus three and a half at home. Mm-hmm. Take it to the bank. Zeus has been perfect this year. Okay. Well, I saw he popped up on Instagram again. Zeus and Maddox. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're back on Instagram. Back on the gram. Yeah. They had to, uh, it was a little hiatus, but they're, uh, they're back. Follow them. I don't know how people do it, how they do the influencer thing. <laughs> they just got to stay on that stuff. Well, they make a lot of money is uh, why I would guess they, they stay on it. It's true. All these accounts are like hitting up, hitting them up for the dogs. Like maybe we can get some money off of our dogs. There you go. 
follow him instagram.com slash zeus and maddox correct uh yeah i think so that yeah. sounds right go do that um see the amazing dinner that uh tori oh, yeah. is whipping up for the pups oh, <laughs> down there in tequila georgia just the the fine dining these two these two good good boys are uh getting getting dealt every night sure. pretty good hashtag muttweiler <laughs> so we that's what we call it uh maddox muttweiler we'll see if we can get maddox uh in a in a home dog of the week but you know zeus has got the hot hand right now so we just gotta keep it rolling okay I'm looking out for the picture tomorrow. And he just he does he can't stay still like Zeus does <laughs> with that piece of paper attached to him. So. Zeus is we'll he's see. stoic. He's just yeah. he's chilling. Sure, he'll he'll deal with it. All right. Well, I'll look out for it tomorrow. Uh, Terps tomorrow night, folks, and uh, I will talk to you in a couple days, man, friend. Sounds good, man. We are back on this Thursday edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined by the play-by-play announcer for App State Football, Adam Witten. Adam, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Chase, doing well, man. I appreciate you having me on. Always enjoy talking about the Mountaineers, and uh, thanks for giving us a platform. Absolutely. I mean, you. I made jokes where I was like, I, I, I don't. I, I, I have plans last week. I. It feels like forever ago now because of all the things that happen in sports these days, um, with just so much stuff jam packed. But uh, App State Marshall was on the calendar, and I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta watch. I, I love me some App State Marshall. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm absolutely watching that. Um, you have your quarterback who shares his name with me. He, he actually went to a high school right down the street from me, a bad high school, and you can tell Chase Bryce that I said he went to a bad wrong high school in Grayson wow. High School. Yeah, not a Grayson guy on this podcast. This is a very anti-Grayson podcast. Um let, let it out, let it out, man. This is a safe place. Hey, you know, I watched Titletown High not too long ago. I got uh, I'm looking at my alma mater's helmet right now. It's just a, it's it's still fresh. The wound is still fresh. Um but all that being said, App State's fun. They're interesting. Marshall's fun and interesting. You had a crazy kick return touchdown in that game. Um it was so much fun. It's, it was probably my top three football games uh, this season thus far. How fun was it for you to call and cover? You know, it's interesting that you say that because we, we've spent a lot of time in the days since that game talking about just how much fun it was for, for a home game. And, you know, apps had its share of great home game moments. I mean, you know, when, when I was a student, app had a play that we call the miracle on the mountain where – with seven seconds left, we gave up a go-ahead touchdown in a game against Furman to go down by a point, and then Furman goes for two with seven seconds remaining to try to go up by a field goal. We intercept the ball, run it all the way back for two points, and end up winning the game by one. That was fun. We've, we've won games to go to national championship games at home, but in terms of atmosphere and drama and the type of game that it was, I mean, this, this was like an all-timer for us in terms of home games. It was a Thursday night and we still had 10,000 students there. We had the largest crowd we've ever had for a non-Saturday game. Hmm. You know, and, and I think a lot of it had to do with just the fact that App is building, you know, something pretty special there. And, and it's already become something like that. But they keep growing and growing. And it's, it's kind of got that big-time college football feel to it. And the students are gravitating toward it. People are making an extra effort to get to these games. And, 
at Marshall is, is an old rivalry from the 80s and 90s, back when they were both in one double A. And so, um, yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun, and glad to see us come on out on top on that one. And now we're looking forward to coming into your neck of the woods and mm. playing Georgia State this weekend. Well, my yeah, my old neck of the woods. I'm I'm up here in Knoxville. I don't I don't want App State anywhere near the Volunteers while we're figuring out this rebuild. That's you, why you you remember you remember that 2016 game then? Don't no, you? I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't recall. I don't recall. But no, I don't. I don't. I don't want the App State Mountaineers anywhere near uh, Knoxville until we figure this stuff out. That's why I was okay with the five hundred thousand dollar check delivered to to Army to get out of that game next year. Got Akron on the calendar instead. Let's go ahead and knock, notch those those home easy wins. Let's not uh, get a little bit too dangerous with the group of five schools um, when we're still yeah, figuring stuff don't out. Be, you don't want to be messing with Army right now. No. Nobody wants to be messing with Army at this point. Yeah, random trap game, triple option with them rolling. I mean, maybe uh, one of their coaches uh, gets plucked to get take that Georgia Southern job. Their OC and DC is in the mix, it looks like, for that one. So we'll have to see there. But um, is there any plans for App State and Marshall to keep this thing going year over year? We'd love to. We really would. Um, and we can say that about a lot of programs, mm-hmm. you know. Coach Sean, Coach Sean Clark, after as soon as the game was over, you know, he, he's a guy that played for App, and when he was playing, that was when App and Marshall was at his height as, as rivals in the old Southern Conference. And you know, he said, "This is a game we should be playing every year mm-hmm. because App and Marshall they're they're separated by about four four and a half hours. Um, they both have very similar fan bases, similar football cultures and traditions, and and yes, it would be great if they were in the same league and playing each other every year, but." You know, we all know there's there's a lot of things that still need to happen on the conference realignment craziness that's going on right now. So that game last Thursday was game two of a newly installed four-game series. So App and Marshall will play next year in Huntington. They'll complete the four-game series in Boone in 2029. But after that, there, there aren't any more plans for them to play. So it's mm. either come up with another – another non-conference series or maybe they find themselves in the same league when the dust settles on conference realignment so mm. but we've been saying that about a lot of programs i mean app and east east carolina play at the beginning of the year that's another game we'd love to see more often you know app and charlotte are are um in-state yeah fellow group of five schools um so th- there's a lot of these games out there but i mean you know i mean you follow college football enough that enough to know that you just don't have a lot of openings on a schedule to be able to make the games you want happen as frequently as you want. But we also learned last year that you can schedule this stuff on the fly. You can adjust. If you like, if you find something that works, you're like, Hey, well, this kind of fans like this. Maybe we should uh, reevaluate and change gears and uh, get this thing going because um, West Virginia, uh, like not playing Marshall, silly. Uh, The backyard brawl not happening anymore. That's silly. Uh, Virginia Tech and Tennessee not having a consistent rivalry uh, with the success that the Battle of Bristol had. That's silly. Um, there are little things. I mean, as a future college football czar, um, uh, speaking for myself, that is what I would do. Step one It's just like get back into regional play. Like, let's look. Oh, yeah, we're in North Carolina with all these awesome programs. How do we ensure our fans get to... Uh, it take part in these in these games and these atmospheres because they're not far. They can travel, develop these rivalries, revisit some old rivalries. This is what college football was ultimately about at the beginning. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you want to use your sway, Adam, 
but uh, whatever you can do, um, I, I'm here for it. We would all love that because it's, there, there's so many positives to that. Um, you know, it's it's games that the fans care about. You know, from from a business perspective in in college athletics, obviously saves money if you're playing more regional games than if you're you know playing non-conference games or even conference games on the other side of the country. So there, there's a lot of reasons why that kind of stuff makes sense. And you give your fans a chance to go to more games. I mean, uh, our fans will travel when they go to play Marshall. Our fans mm. will travel when they go to play East Carolina. And anything that's within, you know, a five- or six-hour drive or even more, you know, our fans and a lot of other programs' fans, they'll go to those games. So, you know, I hope that's – I hope, you know, while while the SEC and others are trying to gobble up uh, different territories with, with, with their conference expansion, I hope that – at the Sun Belt and Conference USA and the, and well, the American looks like it's going to expand West, but I hope that, you know, we, we start to get a little bit more logical when it comes to the geography of, of some of these games so that the fans can enjoy it. The athletics departments can stomach it. And, you know, it just, it makes it more, more interesting all around for, for the people that, that really matter to these programs, which are the fans. Absolutely. I agree. Um, how has Chase Bryce fared in your eyes thus far this season? I think he's fared very well. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it was the, the thing that I got asked most about coming into the season is, you know, what is Chase Bryce going to look like as the quarterback? And everyone saw the numbers that he put up at Duke, and he, he didn't hide from that kind of stuff. You know, he threw 15 interceptions as a, as a starter at Duke a year ago. But he came into a much better situation this year and he's got tons of weapons around him. He's got a really experienced offensive line. Um, you know, they had five, uh, or sorry, four super seniors come back just at the receiver position. And so the thing that he came into was an offense where he wasn't going to be asked to do too much. Um, he's got a really good offensive coordinator he's working with, with Frank Ponce. And, you know, yeah, he's thrown a few interceptions this year, no doubt. But he has, I think, brought a different element to this offense when it comes to stretching the field. Apps had good quarterbacks in the past. Taylor Lamb and Zach Thomas are, are going to go down as some of the best ever to ever play the position at this school. But Chase Bryce, I think, has the, more of an ability to stretch the field um, and has done so successfully, which App has to have. Because when, when people game plan against App State defensively, they say, if we stop the run, we can, we can bring extra guys in the box. We can man up on the outside. And we know that guys aren't going to beat us down the field um, because it's just not something that they've been able to do very well consistently. Well, Marshall tries to do that, and they're very good at it. But App was able to really light it up in the passing game when they had to to be able to score points, to be able to move the offense when, when necessary. And I think Chase Bryce brings an ability to do that as a quarterback because of how good he is with his arm, how strong his arm is, and he throws an incredibly accurate deep ball. So that's something that I think allows the offense to be more balanced, makes defenses not be able to load the box and, and, and bring extra guys up against the run as often because they have to respect what, what Chase Bryce and the offense can do um, in opening up things down the field. Interesting. Um, do you like the balance offensively? Because it does seem like more and more schools are, are just are not the most balanced anymore. And when you find something that works, you you just you hit that over and over and over again um, until opposing teams can stop it. Uh, watching App State with what I've seen this year, 
you're pretty pretty uh pretty even across the boards they they just feel like a very very balanced team both offensively and defensively i mean i mean if you look at bcs toys which is a good comfortable stat side they're 46th in offensive points per drive and 48th in defensive points per drive they're just they're they're fine everywhere is, is that a fair way of characterizing it yeah they're they're really good there's not there's really not a weakness on this team and you know in terms of how i feel about balance i think it's necessary just because it's just because of it being a numbers game quite mm-hmm. honestly you know if if you're if you're a really good team running the football and but you don't have much of a a passing threat defense is just going to bring more guys than you can block and and that's the reality like app faced that at times last year and that's why teams like marshall were able to stop them on offense a year ago is because they just bring more guys than you can block and you can say that well the running game wasn't good or the offensive line didn't do their job but if 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 you're trying to block eight guys with six guys it's just not going to work and so the only way to alleviate that is to not allow the defense to bring seven or eight guys up to the line of scrimmage because they know that if we just sit back and play and if we drop you know three or four guys on defense they're going to kill us in the passing game and apps balance on on offense has allowed them to do that and you know on the other side if you say, well, why do you need to have a, a big time running threat? If you can just if you can throw the ball well, just keep doing that. Well, the reason App State's defense has been as good as it has been over the years is they always they do try to be a run first type offense and control the clock. And you can only be a good defense from start to finish if you're not tired. And if your defense is having to get on the field for a lot of snaps because your offense is throwing the ball a lot and the drives are ending quickly and you're going at a fast pace. Your, your defense just can't keep up, and they're going to get tired late in the game. You know, App's defense has always finished strong. They've always made they've always made plays late in the game. You know, they shut Marshall out. They shut Marshall down in the fourth quarter of the game last Thursday because they were because App was committed to running the football, and it allows your defense to stay fresh, and that way they can be as good at the end of the game as they are at the beginning. So, I think that's where balance really helps this team overall to be just a complete football program. Do you think if they get in a situation where Chase Bryce has to throw 40-plus times, that they, that's something they can still manage and still win? Sure. I mean, okay. he, he basically did that against Marshall. Yeah. Um, he, he threw the ball a lot, you know. Um, now, in the fourth quarter, they ran the ball a lot more because they, they had more success and Marshall was, was kind of wearing down defensively. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sure. I mean, Chase threw the ball a lot against Marshall, and, yeah. and they knew they had to. So, um Chase can do that. That's not necessarily ideal. That's not what we want to do as a as a as a team. But again, I, I go back to the fact that Marshall's style is bring extra guys in the box, mm. play man on the outside, and you got to win your one on one matchups. And App was able to do that enough. And so, um, if if a team is just going to be stubborn defensively about bringing extra guys up, you know, don't try to put a round peg into a square hole by against a, a stacked box throw the ball go with the take what the defense is giving you i mean don't you know don't overthink it so um it, it's not their it's not what they want to do as a strategy but at the end of the day i mean chase is good enough and the and, and more importantly i think the receivers are good enough and the offensive line is good enough to give them enough time to where if he has to throw the ball 40 times because that's what the defense is telling you you need to do then sure they're capable of it 
I like it. Um, is there a matchup that worries you about uh, the team that almost beat Auburn this weekend? <laughs> they're they're a, they're, a, they're a really good team. I mean, they're one and three. But as you know, as we were just joking about with Army, um, Georgia State's schedule has been tough. You know, their their four non conference games were Army, North Carolina, Charlotte, and most recently against Auburn. Yeah. You know, they beat Charlotte. They beat Charlotte handily. Now they they lost, and it wasn't all that close against Army in North Carolina, but they probably should have beaten Auburn. Um, they you know they came out of that one feeling like they missed an opportunity. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a dangerous team. It's probably the most complete team that Sean Elliott's had since he's been at Georgia State. I think the thing that stands out most about them is is their defense and how they are against the run. Um, you know, Auburn is a team that has the potential. And they were like this when, when Gus Malzahn was there, and they still have the personnel to do so, running you know for 300 yards a game. Georgia State held them to, I think it was 167 on the ground. They're really good against the run. App's offense struggled to, to put points on the board until the end of the game um, last year in the game at Boone in Boone. So I think their front seven and their ability to, to stop things on the line of scrimmage and, and try to make you one-dimensional, that's probably the thing that, that stands out the most in terms of challenges against them. But, you know, they're, they're on the offensive side of the ball. They're, they're good as well. They've got a deep running back core. They've got a ton of talent at wide receiver. They seem to have found something with, a, with making a quarterback change two games ago, going with Granger, the, the transfer from Furman. So they're, they're, they're in good shape. Um, and I think they're as poised as ever to finally win a game over App. So, you know, if the Mountaineers don't come into this one matching the intensity and exceeding the intensity and, and the effort of Georgia State, um, they, they could be in for a, for a, a, for a pretty tight ball game. And um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I think this game is as dangerous as any on the schedule in the Sun Belt. You know, I think you can't let the record of one and three fool you with Georgia State because they have had a bear of a non-conference schedule to this point. Especially when you look at what's coming right after the Mountaineers. I, th- this is a shout-out to our friends at Solid Verbal. This is a letdown look-ahead spot, right? With Louisiana. Sandwich, right? Uh, say it again? The letdown look-ahead sandwich? Yeah, that it, right? right here. Like that's, a, that's what this looks like to me. One and three, like you said, but they're not one and three bad. And then you have just your two biggest games in the calendar left uh, with Coastal and Louisiana right after this. Um, is yeah. that something that you think Sean Clark's going to have to really, really emphasize and drive home to keep these guys focused and not not be looking ahead to to the Cajuns and the uh, uh, why am I blanking on Coastal Carolina's mascot? Shana Chanticleers, Clears. yeah, there you go. Shana Clears, yes. Cool. They'll, they'll they'll bust you for that. Um, <laughs> not as much as no, East I, Carolina fans will bust you for uh, misspeaking and calling it Eastern Carolina. That is something yeah, no, that they don't like yeah. at all. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad that uh, you know you haven't dropped an Appalachian State or an Appy State or anything like that. <laughs> that that'll that'll draw the fire from the from the App State fans. So. Wait, which is the worst? Um, What's I, the worst thing you can say about the uh, which which is the worst way you can pronounce it for for App State fans? Appa, Appalachian, if you okay. Say Appalachian, that's going to get people fired up. I mean, mm. we don't like Appy Appy State either. So mm-hmm. App State, Appalachian State, App State is is perfect. That's, okay, if you say App State and Mountaineers, you'll you'll be just fine. Interesting. Okay. There you go. The more you know. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, in terms of uh, in, in terms of this potentially being a, a look ahead because they've got two teams after this that they lost to last year and kind of part of this revenge tour. And Marshall was part of that. I, I I'm not necessarily worried about it. Um, I don't have any 
any thought that, that Sean Clark and the team will, will treat this game any differently than they need to because it's their first conference game and because they, they darn near lost to Georgia State a year ago. So you combine what Georgia State did and giving them a fight last year, you turn on the tape and watch what Georgia State did to Auburn, um, knowing that this is a team that's trying to get their first win ever over App State, and it's the first conference game. There's so much there that I I don't have any concerns about them, you know, not approaching this game the right way. I like it. How do you think this three-game set goes for App State? Uh, that's that's tough to say. It is it is a it is a very difficult stretch. You know, thankfully they don't have any short weeks coming up. Um, like they did going into the Marshall game. That was a short week before that one. Um, you know, Louisiana on the road, it's, it's been a place they've actually played well in um, in these in these midweek games. Louisiana's a little beat up. They've got some offensive line injuries. I think their kicker is actually out for the year now. So, um, you know, they're, they're trying to get healthy right now. And I'll be interested to see um, how they look going into that game on Tuesday night. And then, Coastal, I mean, you talk about, you know, having all the motivation in the world for that one. That's a, that's a divisional game. That's a home game. Um, there's, you know, that, that one, that one's about as going to be as exciting of a, of a game as, as, as possible. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't have any issues in terms of anybody like not taking the right approach to any of these games, but yeah, I mean, it, it is for sure a very dangerous part of the schedule right now with going Marshall, Georgia state, Louisiana, coastal carolina um you know the month of october is is a challenge for sure mm-hmm. but i think that i think that just speaks to how good the league has become i mean it's the the league as a whole has come a long way the fact that every game is like oh man you know these guys these guys are, are pretty good when you look at them so um you know you had two teams in the preseason top 25 to start the year you've got more and more powerful strong teams in this conference now so um yeah i mean the fact that you're looking at it i think really you really just have to kind of tip your cap to how strong the conference has become from a football perspective um that that we're having this conversation about man you guys have a a tough stretch coming up and and you're right it is last thing we'll wrap up here who outside of peoples or bryce like who who on this app state offense and defense should football fans be uh paying attention to over the next few weeks who do you have your eye on to, to really break out in the, in the coming weeks? You know, I mean, I, I think people really need to keep their eye on Nate Noel. Mm. Uh, I think from a running back perspective, people know about Cam Peoples. Um, he was, he was you know, kind of the he, – he made, you know, waves at the end of last season having a record performance over 300 yards and five touchdowns in the bowl game. And, you know, people have seen what he can do over the last few years, even battling some injuries. Nate Noel has just gotten better and better, and he took over the fourth quarter of the Marshall game. So, you know, he, he splits carries pretty much with Cam, so we'll see a lot of him this weekend and throughout the season. So I, I look at him. Um, you know, Corey Sutton, it's great to have him back. He was their number one receiver going into 2019, played, you know, a handful of games, then tore his ACL, didn't play off last year. and Now he's come back and he's one of the best receivers in, in the conference right now and, you know, had a career high in receptions and had an unbelievable tiptoe rece- uh, touchdown in the fourth quarter against Marshall. So keep an eye on him on offense as well. Defensively, I mean, DeMarco Jackson is the guy I think that is really having an amazing season right now and and I think could, could have a chance to catch a lot of NFL scouts 
catch their eye and have a chance to maybe, you know, make himself some money at the end of all of this. He's, he's got over 40 tackles through four games. He's got three sacks already. He is, he, he's so versatile. He can, um, he can make tackles in space. He can, he can close on guys to the outside. He can cover slot receivers as well. I mean, he can do so much and he's just so fast and, and just built like a freaking ox. So um, 52, DeMarco Jackson on defense. If I'm watching App State on defense, that's the guy that I'm keeping my eye on. There you go. There you go. How do the good folks check out all your work and uh, keep up with you the rest of the way this season? Yeah, appreciate it. So um, I'm on Twitter at Adam B. Witten. Uh, Witten spelled like Jason Witten, the uh, mm. the old Tennessee and yeah. Dallas Cowboy tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, no re- no relation. I uh, wish I could say he got his athletic ability from me, but <laughs> fortunately not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so Adam B. Witten on Twitter. Um, and then, you know, AppStateSports.com is where all of our stuff is, where you can listen to our broadcast. And uh, we've got a, a, a an app that we've developed called the Varsity Network where people can listen to live play-by-play for free from their favorite schools all across the country including mm-hmm. mountaineers so check that out as well yeah that stuff is great i i love that um may have used that already a little bit this year so go do all that yeah. follow adam uh, as app state rolls on into a very very interesting october i will be watching more app state football and uh what lies ahead because it's gonna be fun it's gonna be interesting and i'm all about relegating vanderbilt to the Sun Belt and elevating <laughs> one of you or coastal or whoever um i think we need to we need to adopt the the premier league model because uh yeah it's about time um adam thank you so much for making the time today i greatly appreciate it uh you stay safe out there and good luck the rest of the way yeah chase uh thanks for having me man all the best All right, the Thursday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along where I'm now joined by someone who I he didn't he didn't divulge this information before we got started, but he went to a rival high school. No, it's not a rival high school because guess what? The battle for the green flag, there's no battle between Burkmar and Parkview High School. No, it uh, it's just Parkview. Parkview runs runs Lilburn, but the Burkmar graduate has found his way onto this podcast. Matt Money is here. I've got to talk. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Yeah, good evening, Chase. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big, uh, big fan of the show. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, the green flag. Now I want to go see that. I, I don't, I don't know if uh, Burkmar is on the calendar for Part B this year. I want to say I didn't see them. Weirdly enough, Bert, uh, Part B's got a weird schedule. Like they played Tucker on a Saturday. Same division, right? No. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, it's really weird. I should know this because I just had uh, Coach Godfrey on the podcast earlier this week. Um, I don't actually know who Logan, or uh, Burt Mars football coach is now. Do you know off the top of your no, head? No, I uh, yeah. Um, you gave up your I, season I, tickets. Yeah, I live in Colorado now, <laughs> Florida for ten years. Uh, before that, I'm I'm pretty well removed from from the Lowburn and Burt Mars scene. I did watch uh, watch some of the state championship game in basketball. Looks like they're getting back to prominence there. Um, so they had unfortunately lost to Milton, uh, which was a big rival back when I was in, in high school. But yeah, that's, that's about all I can tell you about Burkmar. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm not crazy. They do not have Burkmar on the calendar this year. Wow. Is that not weird? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's literally I both in Lilburn. They can't be in the same division anymore, I guess. Uh, I guess not. I guess not. Everything's changing. We move on and uh, everything changes. We we move away and they're just not a not a fan. Um, is it is it eight A now that they're up to? I think it's seven. 
Is it seven? Okay, so yeah. there were five when I was back in that way, way back in the day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we can get started. Oh yeah. my goodness, as Khaleesi, the dog. I kid you not, Matt. Do you hear this? Yeah. This is part Khaleesi. I'll feed you after. This has literally never happened on this podcast. After 700 episodes, she has decided it's time to eat, but she will wait. Um, that completely, I, I wish you could see this, Matt, but this is great podcasting. This is why I need video to pivot to video for stuff like this. It's, it's but, fine. I, I just, I just got home from work and my dog was excited to see me and I was telling my fiance, I've got to jump on this podcast and I went to go pet my dog and it peed. So it's, 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 it's all good. <laughs> all, all part of the process. <laughs> it is. It is. It's all part of the process. Um, so we have to start with yeah. what happened with the young man who went viral on his way to a Georgia Southern football game, not leaving yeah. a Georgia Southern football game over the weekend. Um, what happened there? Can you walk walk the listeners through if they're not familiar with the game day rituals in Statesboro and why the school bus situation was going on, how he found his way on top of the bus. Like how, how do like explain it to the people that are not uh, completely inundated on Statesboro culture? Sure. Yeah. So Sunday following the 28 to 10, uh, 28 to 20 uh, loss to Louisiana video surfaced online. Uh, we've been running or uh, riding the yellow school buses um, to home games uh, since the Irk Russell days back in the back in the 80s. Uh, we obviously can afford better, but it's just part of the many traditions um, at Georgia Southern. So uh, there's like three to four total buses, um, usually split up by coaches, um, sports staff, and then uh, your, your starters and then like bench players. Um, they have the Valley song that they sing. Um, and then in, in recent years and, and kind of the Lunsford years, it's, it's become very much of like a parade. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got, got a row out there, which is a tailgating group. They uh, do smoke bombs and, and streamers, and uh, the players get players and coaches get into it. Then they go by Greek Row. Um, that's right before they make the final turn to go into the stadium and go through the main tailgating lot. All the students are out there in Greek Row. Um, Coach Lunsford had made it um, – a point the last couple of years to really, you know, involve the students, get them fired up, get them excited about the games. He would get off the bus and go and they would spray him with beer. They would spray him with champagne. Uh, he elbowed, dropped a chair as, uh, uh, as people know, uh, was kind of his calling card. Um, so he did that in the past. No one had a problem with that, uh, but this was taking it a step too far. So a video surfaced. On Sunday, following that Louisiana loss um, of our red shirt nose tackle Gavin Adcock, um, he was on top of the bus uh, when the video starts. He catches a beer, his Bud Light can, catches it um, from one of the students on Greek Row, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin style, <laughs> <laughs> chugs it, um, throws it back into the crowd after after he kills it. Um, and, and yeah, that was the end of the video. Now, um, he did play in the Louisiana game. Um, he actually had a costly mistake mm-hmm. in the game. Um, it, it was, uh, the fourth drive. Uh, we had four penalties in the game, all, uh, four kind of discipline errors. Um, this was the first one. He jumps off sides on a fourth and one gives Louisiana a new life. Um, they scored their first touchdown off of it. So, um, yeah, just a bad look, bad optics all around. Um, you know, Gavin Adcock, he's he's an aspiring musician. Um, he's uh, you know wants to be the Georgia Southern's next uh, country music superstar. Um, Cole course, Swindle. 
Cole Swindell and uh, and Luke Bryan also went there, even though he yeah. he touts UGA. Um, but John yeah, Langston, so I don't know. It was just mm-hmm. uh, you know he he just released his like first single. Um, he had been hurt uh, for um, got hurt in the preseason, missed the first three games. Um, this was kind of his uh, yeah first game back. And, uh, and yeah, it, it was just, it was a bad look. Um, it definitely, even though it hasn't been said officially by the AD or anybody, um, it has been said that it, it played a large, it played a factor in the decision to let Lunsford go. Um, but I think it, it certainly was the, um, the nail in the coffin, um, because the, the, just the optics of it looked, looked really bad. Certainly, um, you know, with it, following a law you know with the video getting out following a loss but i think regardless um i mean you're talking about school property on on <laughs> campus wearing a uniform um you know an active player uh yeah this just bad all around but if he has the game of his life is this uh become a tradition where and that's like... what people have said you know what if we had won you know <laughs> would this have happened obviously i mean you know college kids are gonna be college kids i'm yeah. sure worse has happened uh you know before the social media era um you know and then we we even had players you know from the Earl russell days of of the 80s and players that played with us in the 90s that said oh we, we did way worse stuff um but you know I, I, I can't speak to that, obviously, but um, yeah, you, you've, you're obviously under a microscope now. Um, and yeah, it was a barstool account that that uh, posted the video, and <clears throat> so I, I think the optics of it maybe would be a little subdued, maybe a little less if if uh, we didn't fall to, to one and three on the season and then zero and one in the conference. But um, honestly, I, I think I think the it was a safety issue, right? I mean, it wasn't just that the guy was on the bus drinking beer. Um, it, it was that, you know, if something had happened, we talked about this on the podcast that if, if, uh, yes, the buses are moving slow, but if someone ran out in front of it, they have police escorts. If there's a chain reaction, they have to stop for some reason. God forbid he falls off, you know, what, what could have happened. Right. So, yeah, absolutely absolutely just a crazy crazy thing to see um in real time it, it was is it wild um and then when it came out like that was after the game just a, a delight one of the rare delightful times to be on twitter.com um you've you've mentioned that this was maybe the last thing that uh, outside of the loss and this um that led to lunsford ultimately being let go um lunsford seemed like a really likable coach just maybe somebody who was in over his head and this was just too big of a job for him now, even though they have gone to three straight bowl games. Um, it's just not up to what Jordan Southern's looking for. Um, it's not just what uh, their expectations are. Um, he seems like a really likable dude, but you know, just uh, not not he did not win enough. It seems like is that a is that a fair way of characterizing why the Chad Lunsford era ended in Statesboro? Yeah, it's more than fair. Um, I mean, it, the expectations are high at Georgia Southern. There's uh, no doubting that. Um, they were obviously high in the FCS days of the six national championships. But, you know, they're they're high in FBS, too, since moving up in 2014. And and I think, you know, with having Willie Fritz and seeing what we were able to do, um, switching offenses, um, right, from, from uh, the flex mode under center triple option uh, to kind of a, a more like spread option offense out of the um, shotgun and pistol that, that Fritz ran, we went uh, uh, won the Sunbelt Conference um, in 2014, you know, our, our first year as an FBS member went 8-0. That was before they had a Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Um, so 
we, you know, fans are spoiled. We've had success. We've obviously had some dark times too. Um, but yeah, the bar set really, really high. So Lunsford entering the season 27 and 18 overall, I think there's a lot of schools out there that would probably take that. Um, but in, I wouldn't say that he was on the hot seat entering the season. Um, it was warm. Um, I don't think anyone expected him to be let go after four games. Um, but again, I think that's where that video comes into play. Um, so I think, you know, he would have probably been given at least to the middle of the season, probably to the end of the season to see what he could, um, you know, salvage. But, uh, but yeah, after that came out, um, like I said, the optics were poor and it, it kind of just speaks to some of the undisciplined play. Um, and, you know, just antics that we've seen um, both on the field and off the field uh, throughout his tenure. Interesting. Um, what do you, what do you think he ultimately got right? What is the best thing he got right at Southern, and what do you think was the biggest thing he got wrong? Yeah, good question. So um, he was the right person for the job in 2017 after coming off of uh, the Tyson Summers era. Obviously, mm. terrible hire. Um, and you know, we, we start 2017, 0 and 6, uh, um, Tyson Summers is fired inner Chad Lutz for a long time assistant, right? Never really been a coordinator, um, didn't graduate, uh, from Georgia Southern, but he's, he said, uh, most recently in his kind of farewell note that he, he felt like it was his alma mater. So, um, you know, much like, uh, Sean Clark at, at Appalachian state, um, he was, um, you know, he had been through a bunch of different coaching staffs. Um, so he was the right guy for the job um, in 2017 for the interim job and probably for 2018. Obviously, we have the huge turnaround. Uh, we go from 10 losses to 10 wins, uh, biggest turnaround in college football history. Um, we, we win uh, the Camellia Bowl um, in 2018, and we were riding high. Um, but then I think after that, you kind of saw – it taper off. We have a seven win season followed by an eight win season last year. And you kind of saw, you know, him, I don't want to say losing the team, but you kind of saw where the ceiling was. Right. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, we had a favorable schedule back in 2018 when we won those 10 games. So where he got right was, I mean, he is a player's coach. No one's going to say a bad thing about Chad Lunsford, the person, um, all, you know, uh, former players, current players all went on and, and defended them. And, and I, pretty much all the the fan base is 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 behind him as you know chad lunsford the guy um so he brought he brought an energy a charisma um, a fire that that um the program needed at kind of their their darkest hour right but um where he could have done better i think with the, the the coaching aspect right i mean both from um being prepared i think there were uh games especially road games where we just we came out flat it looked like we didn't really have an answer uh, for what the offense defense was throwing at us um, halftime adjustments just haven't been there um, really throughout his whole tenure but certainly this season um, and yeah I mean frankly he's just been out coached uh, you know for um, uh, against the, the top competition in the Sun Belt and that just can't happen uh, because we want to be mentioned in the same breath as Appalachian State as Coastal Carolina now and as Louisiana um, but yeah time and time again you just saw poor clock management and uh, poor um, decisions being made on the field I just had the play-by-play announcer um, from from App State on earlier out of Witten and uh, you know what he said do you know what mm. they hate being called Appalachian State 
They don't like it. That's the number one thing. Yeah, they they prefer App State. They hate Appy that's, State that's and Appalachian. Yeah. yeah, they're just they're not a fan. They don't want you to pronounce the whole name or call them Appy State. It's just App State. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that uh, East Carolina fans are very sensitive too. If you if you say Eastern Carolina, even okay, though there is a Western Carolina, and uh, yeah, it, it, sometimes you mess it up. There's an Eastern Michigan. There, right. it, it's tough. You got to be careful when you're when you're uh, pointing the stuff out. It seems like Lunsford was just that like the Sunbelt equivalent of Clay Helton is what you just described to me. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know too much. Uh, obviously, I know his record and everything, right? I don't know about like how he was perceived in the locker room. Um, it's like all the player. I know he was the player's coach. I don't know how much the players actually bought into him. Um, Lunsford had had that buy. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they would run through a brick wall for him. But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just never... And I think we kind of sensed it after because i mean he went uh, as as interim coach in 2017 he went two and four mm-hmm. right uh we would have been 0 and 12 that year no question about it um so i mean winning those two games great but normally you're not going to hire an interim coach uh that goes two and four then we have the season that we did in 2018 everyone was like okay this this is going to work out um but then again i, I think the kind of honeymoon period ended and you kind of saw um, the reality of, of that we were just going to be mediocre, maybe slightly better than mediocre. And again, that's just not good enough for the expectations that Georgia Southern. Yeah. Uh, but that's a, kind of a good thing to have though, right? To have those high expectations in a way where you're like for the fan base to know that we're not going to let this get off the rails where if we keep somebody too long, recruiting starts to suffer. We just have several years of just bad seasons unacceptable seasons and then it becomes more of the norm where you have this tradition and you're like no this is what we demand and if you don't reach this then whatever but we we have our demands we have our expectations we have the history to show and we think that we can get someone better and that's where we lead into my next question who who's next who do you think it is is it one of army's defensive like one of army's coordinators is ivan jasper is it brian bohannon at k-state um who who do you think Give me your top three, and then give me who you would who you would hire if you could hire any of the rumored coaches. Yeah, I gotcha. So probably none of the above, none of the rumored. Oh man! So, so that brings into a bigger uh, point. So we changed athletic directors um, a little over a year ago. Uh, Jared Benko um, is our AD now. Um, he's already made uh, you know a big hire slash hire for men's basketball. Um, after our coach left there, he got um, a, a top assistant from Texas Tech, um, who I think is really going to turn that program around. And he's a guy with uh, 20 years of SEC experience, uh, comes from Mississippi State, uh, spent time at Auburn basically as their CFO, um, really did uh, some big things for their fundraising and their budget. Um, already has has uh, done, I, I think, in a, in a year more than what I've seen a lot of uh, previous ADs do um, in terms of fundraising uh, really kind of thinking outside of the box. Um, we have $68 million guaranteed in the uh, next three years for a new indoor practice facility and convocation center, which will be home to basketball um, as well as volleyball. And, uh, and yeah, he's a no-nonsense guy, obviously, right? He, he pulled the plug on Lunsford after four games. Um, again, video, I'm sure, had something to do with that. Um, but he's not tied to the option, um, you know, and, and I think this this old guard versus new guard um, you know, dilemma or push and pull that you have at Georgia Southern, I think the new guard is going to start to win out. I mean, obviously, money speaks volume. We still have some, uh, you know, big boosters that, 
salivate over the the Paul Johnson and Eric Russell days mm. running the triple option under center. Um, I don't think we go the option route. I really don't. Really? Um, no. I, I think, you know, I, Brian Bohannon, if we did, I think would be a good choice. Um, I would want an experienced head coach, which obviously you get with him. I mean, he started the program at Kennesaw State. Um, so – that I, I would I would prefer him over even Ivan Jasper, um, even though Jasper's arguably had more success um, with the option. Um, he hasn't he's not a proven head coach, but but yeah, I think it's going to be someone that no you know a, a name that no one's really talking about right now, and that's hmm. not me knowing a secret. I'm not trying to throw out a name, but Zach Arnett, someone with with uh, with SEC connections, probably um, whether they're currently. On staff with the SEC team, not sure, um, but you know some some names have been thrown around uh, with um, the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, um, as well as um, Kendall Bryles, uh, offensive mm. coordinator at Arkansas. Um, so I think those maybe two names to look at. Um, and then he also has some connections to the coaching staff at Oregon. Um, so, you know, I think the next kind of evolution of the Georgia Southern offense, um, you know, one thing to, to note is that all media, I mean, national media is still even some fans, uh, certainly fans of, of Sunbelt schools, but even like local and regional media keep saying Georgia Southern is known for the triple option. They run mm-hmm. the triple option. We haven't ran the triple option since 2013. Mm-hmm. We haven't truly ran, you know, that offense as our base playbook, um, in in the style that people think of it, right? Like the the service academies, what they run, um, the Paul Johnson flexbone under center triple option. We haven't ran it since we beat the University of Florida um, back in 2013 without completing a pass, right? Ever since when we when we went into FBS in the Sun Belt um, with Willie Fritz, we've been running like a spread run heavy offense with some option principles. That's what we've done. Uh, we have some dual option, maybe some triple option plays out of pistol, um, but not not the triple option that they're running at Army or, or Air Force or Navy. So um, we, we're not set up to even go back to that. So we don't have the offensive line to do that. Uh, we don't have the quarterbacks to do that. Um, and uh, probably do have the running backs. But, yeah, I, I think it would be a big transition to go back to, um, you know, what Paul Johnson ran um, at Georgia Southern and, and at Georgia Tech. Um, I see us going more RPO, um, more spread, um, you know, still be a run-first, run-heavy team, um, but be able to actually pass the ball effectively and efficiently. So I think some of those guys from – you know, your Arkansas, your, um, your Ole Miss or, uh, Oregon. Um, I would, I would look, I, I think that's the way we go. I don't think it's going to be any of the guys you mentioned. Interesting. Yeah. Um, do you think they made like the mistake was just not doing everything you could to keep Billy Fritz? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was the previous administration um, and that AD and it's well documented, right? Um, there was a recording that came out um, mm-hmm. like within a year or so after. Um, and, you know, the rumor mill was saying, well, uh, Fritz just wanted all this money, which was not the case. He literally just wanted stability. He just wanted a, a long term contract when after 
you know, um, going from FCS to FBS. First year we go eight and zero in the conference, um, not eligible for bowl game. Uh, win nine games the next year, win a uh, win a bowl, and he can't get more than a one year guaranteed extension of a contract. Um, and the the um, AD at the time just wouldn't budge. Uh, they butted heads, um, and so he left. Uh, that's that's. I mean, he, he you know Willie Fritz um, has said. Um, sense that you know he loves georgia southern and he would have loved to to stay and and retire here um and i think yeah i think we would be having a very different conversation right now um if he would have stayed um i think that 2016 team that tyson summers ruined um including the draft stock of matt Breida, um going you know from probably a, a second or third round draft pick to undrafted um because of the senior year i think uh I think that would have been a team that not only would have won the Sun Belt Championship, but contended for a New Year's Six Bowl. I honestly believe that. And uh, because of that coaching change and getting Tyson Summers, um, we go from that to um, would have been 0-12, but, but winning, you know, winning two games, like I said, because we made the change and got Lonsford. Interesting. Um, so... How do you think the rest of the season goes? Now that Lunsford's out, it's always a weird thing when you lose your coach early in a season because you just <laughs> you don't want the interim to do too well where right. you're in a USC situation where you're like, uh-oh, um, yeah. do we do we keep this uh, head coach because the team rallied around him, the Edwards run thing. But I am I'm curious, like as a fan, how do you how do you what lens do you do you view the rest of the the Eagles season through and like what are what are you looking for? What do you hope to see? How does this work for you now that Lunsford's out and you're just playing out the string here? Sure. Yeah, so uh, so Kevin Whitley, um, he takes over as the interim. He's the cornerback's coach. Um, I think the thing to point out there, again, going back to our AD and Jared Banco kind of being no-nonsense, I think that's a message to, you know, we have – guys on the staff that have been on the staff for longer um that, than whitley has um you know our, our offensive and defensive coordinator um, but i think it's a signal that we're completely cutting ties and moving on from the chad Munsford era um with this uh with this pick of the interim um that being said you know he he's the right guy for the job just like i think uh Lunsford was back in 2017 um he's a longtime high school coach he's a former player at georgia southern he co- or he played under um Eric russell he knows the traditions he knows how to act on the yellow school buses uh, right i think he's going to bring a lot of discipline um, to uh, to the team, um, you might not see it obviously overnight. Um, you know, as as early as as this weekend, um, but obviously long road ahead, right? That most interim coaches don't have. Um, so yeah, he's got two thirds of the season um, to kind of prove himself. That being said, um, unless just kind of the um, unprecedented happens and we, I mean, we're just 0-1, right, in the, in the Sun Belt, so um, everything is still on the table. So if we did happen to make a run at the East, win the East, make the Sun Belt Championship game, win the Sun Belt, you know, I think, yes, at, at that point you have to have some hard conversations and he's considered, um, but uh, it's probably not going to happen. Um, so I, I think the expectations – honestly haven't changed that much um i think we were probably a three to five win team um under lunsford uh the way things were going um we're probably still that um you know depending on how the team rallies uh behind um coach whitley 
we could potentially get to six wins, you know, and, and, and make a, make a bowl game. Um, and then possibly win the, win the bowl game for, for seven wins. And I think that right now would, you know, kind of exceed expectations. I think fans at this point would be, um, happy with that. Interesting. What game do you have penciled in? What, what are you most looking forward to the rest of it? Is there one particular game that you're most excited for? Yeah. So we, um, I don't have the date off. It's, uh, it's in November. We host BYU, um, this year. So that's, um, you know, that's the biggest non-conference opponent. Um, you know, we've struggled again, going back to eighties. Um, we have this, uh, third highest winning percentage, home winning percentage in the country behind, uh, Alabama and Notre Dame. Um, so we call it the power of Paulson, um, Paulson stadium and, uh, teams don't want to come <laughs> play there. You know, we, we've seen our peers in the Sunbelt conference host ACC teams, host SEC teams. Um, we have just struggled even doing like, uh, two and ones and things like that. Right. Uh, we, we cannot get anyone to come. I understand BYU is independent. Um, yes, they're moving to, to the big 12, but, um, you know, they're, they're not a power five team, but it's, it definitely without a doubt, I think is the biggest non-conference opponent, um, that will visit Statesboro. Um, certainly since being a FBS member. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, that should be a fun one. Uh, but they're, you know, I, I thought maybe they'd take a step back after losing Zach Wilson. Um, looks like they picked up right where they, where they left off. Um, we'll likely be a ranked team um, when we face them. Um, so, yeah, let's hope that we can we can right the ship under the interim coach and, and at least make that a competitive game. But that, uh, that one will be fun. And then uh, we do host Coastal Carolina um, in, in a few weeks here. Um, so, so I think that one, um, we should have beat them last year. Um, so... We'll, we'll see how that game goes and then in the season up in Boone um, against Appalachian State <laughs> um, and uh, I'll be there mm, for that one so really that. really driving home that uh, yeah. point <laughs> you, you won't call him by App State um, last thing and we'll wrap up here your favorite player to watch this season has been who positive that's note tenure yeah yeah that's a good one um, I would say Gerald Green. Um, so we've got a loaded backfield um, as as we normally do. Um, that that's been one you know constant at, at Georgia Southern, and we've got at least three guys I think that could start um, pretty much anywhere in the Sun Belt. Probably most Group of Five teams um, and and uh, a handful of, of Power Five teams. Um, but uh, he's really impressed me. Really kind of came out on the scene last year. Um, and every chance he gets to touch the ball, um, he makes something hap- uh, happen with it. Um, you know, speed guy, uh, like we've seen in the Jarrett McKinnons and, and, uh, and Matt Breedas of the past. Um, but he can also run between the tackles, um, you know, and then uh, to complement him, we have J.D. King and, and uh, Logan Wright, which are both kind of more of your power backs. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say Gerald Green. Uh, he just reeled off um, almost 180 yards against Louisiana um, uh, and, and really kept us in that game uh, late in the fourth quarter um, last Saturday. I like it. I like it. How do people keep up with your work and the, the good folks that got to talk this fall? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can follow us um, on all the social medias. It's Gotta Talk Podcast, so G-A-T-A-T-A-L-K podcast. Also, gattatalk.com is where you can find all our episodes. We're also on anywhere you listen to podcasts, so Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it. Um, And yeah, 
been doing it since 2018. Uh, this will be the first uh, year. You know, we started the uh, Lunsford's first full year, so this will be the first first time we're um, ushering in a new coach and then then talking through a, a coaching change. Um, so that uh, that'll be fun. Um, so uh, some exciting exciting times ahead. I like it. I like it. Well, keep up the great work, sir. Good luck in the coaching search, and uh, you stay safe out there. Yeah. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.